Women in Aviation special. In this week's show, uh, we're going to forego the traditional show format, and we're going to be hearing from some amazing women from all aspects of aviation. Uh, we still have some stories to get uh, to get in, um, to get to know some of these women and the efforts that they're undertaking for their different organizations. Uh, but we'll kind of have a more roundtable format of the show, and we've got all kinds of uh interesting segments and fun hosts joining me. So uh, without further ado, let's uh, let's see who's on the show today. So um, I think everyone here knows me, so I'm going to keep my introduction brief. Um, if, if you're tuning into this, yes, you found the correct show. This is actually Plane Talking UK. It is not the Airline Pilot Guy show, which you might um, uh, be familiar with if you've seen me before anywhere. Um, I am here. I'm a commercial multi-engine pilot. I do skydiving operations on the weekend. Sometimes I jump out of the planes as well, all kinds of other hobbies, marathon running, and my full-time job as a doctor. So joining me this week um, from the hit Discovery Channel TV show, Flying Wild Alaska, a private pilot, TV, film, and actor, and producer, it's Ariel Tweedo. Hi, everyone. How's it going? Awesome. We're doing great here. Looking forward to a fun-packed show. So we'll get to know you a little bit more, but I'm sure... Folks mostly know who you are already, but we've got some interesting interviews coming up. Um, Also joining us, she's worked in the medical sector for many years. She's an aviation enthusiast by proxy, a fierce feminist and advocate for equality. Megan has had loads of flying experience in all sorts of aircraft as a passenger. She's made aviation a part of her family, attending the Reno Air Races and EAA Air Venture at Oshkosh. It's Megan Carrion. Hello. I am very excited to be here. Uh, I am going to be sitting in for Matt today because my experience in aviation is definitely from a passenger's perspective. Um, Though I have jumped out of airplanes and I've sat right seat with controls in my control (laughs) uh, once. So yeah, that's my, that's my limited aviation experience, but I'm excited to be here and share stories. Uh, Plenty of aviation experience, I would say. (laughs) Uh, more on that to come. And our next host is a fantastic air show pilot. She's an aerobatics instructor, an airline pilot, and TikTok aviation educator. Uh, Jody has flown approximately, get this, 95 types of aircraft, including her Pitts S1s and Thunder Mustang. It's Jody Ruger. Hi, guys. I brought my Pitts and the Thunder Mustang today, so we're going to have some fun. Yes, definitely the best um, aviation background for the the show today. So uh, moving on without delay, um, let's see who's in the chat room. Yeah, we've got a bunch of people who've joined us. Um, I recognize a few names here. Uh, We've got Auntie Liz, who is very excited to see an all-women cast today. Uh, We've got Richard Adams joining us. My hubby was here momentarily. I think he's doing yard work now. Um, he was is he the one running the lawnmower outside? Might be running if you the hear the lawnmower <laughs> in our, the background on Megan and our uh, he, audio, that's what that is. He was kind of fangirling in the garage earlier. Um, we've got <laughs> Lane Street. We've got Jonathan Warner, uh, Graham Haley. We've got Laura Davis. We see Carlos in here. Um, I see never, never uh, heard of that guy. APG. Somebody from APG, I think, is fine on Steph today, Uh-oh. making sure she uh, doesn't cross over to the dark side, maybe. Uh, who else? We've got Captain Cruz. We've got lots and lots of folks. Jennifer, I think, is going to join us for a bit. So thank you all for coming to watch our show live. Uh, don't forget also, very important, to like, subscribe, comment. 
Uh, make sure that you tell us you're here and share like crazy. Yes, absolutely. We, we love that very much. So um, to kick off the show, let's jump right on in and hear from an inspiring young lady. This is someone she skipped school on her 14th birthday to become the youngest woman solo pilot in the UK. Uh, she actually, she soloed a glider on that day and then later soloed a power airplane three days after her 16th birthday, uh, which was postponed due to weather and earned her PPL on her 17th birthday. This is Ellie Carter. Hey, my name is Ellie Carter. I'm 18 years old and I'm a pilot. I collected my pilot's license on my 17th birthday and ever since then I've been flying a 1943 Piper Cub all over the country. I've always been fascinated with maths and physics and for me aviation was probably the natural progression from there. So when I was nine years old I decided that I wanted to see a U2 spy plane so I wrote a letter to the U2 spy plane pilots and this plane is kind of top secret so my letter went to the Pentagon and almost got my parents arrested. Unfortunately, they weren't, and I still have to put up with them. But uh, excluding that, they actually let me go up to RAF Fairford to see the aircraft and chase it down the runway. And from there, they actually got me my first flight, and that's how I got into aviation. As for my ma major role models in aviation, I've always been inspired by some of the aviation greats like Betty Coleman, Catherine Stinson and Pancho Barnes. She was really cool. She was flying uh, stunts and doing barnstorming, all sorts of wicked stuff. Um, but also the Belgium F-16 display pilot when I was about eight was really, really great. He was probably the first person that kind of <laughs> was on his knees talking to me and told me that I could be a pilot. So he's always going to be an inspiration for me. As for diversity in aviation, it's definitely getting better. It's still largely male dominated, but even in the short time that I've been in aviation, I've noticed more and more women coming through, which is really, really great. But also being a woman, there are some really, really cool experiences and funny stories that you kind of get to share. I remember being up at Dunkswell Airfield one day and I was kind of just doing my walk around in the aircraft and the aircraft was parked by the beer garden. And there was this man there with his newspaper and a hat on. So I kind of said, you might want to hold on to your hat in a minute. I'm going to start the engine. And he kind of just gave me a look. But it just so happened that my dad was sat next to him. And he kind of mumbled under his breath to his wife and said, I'll wait till the pilot comes. Um, I was a pilot. So I got in the aircraft, started it up. And he had to make a decision between whether to save his newspaper or save his hat. So his hat actually went blowing across a beer garden, which is kind of really, really funny. Um, the one thing I would say to any woman that is looking to get into aviation is really just go and do it. There's it's really hard to get into aviation, but there are so many really, really supportive people. And just go up to your airfield and give it a try. You, you really won't regret it. All right. Well, so that was super awesome. And I cannot even imagine doing all of that at such a young age. Ellie is super inspirational there to me. Um, 
currently, I think she's doing her A-levels along with studying carbon neutral, pro- oh, I can't even say that word. See, I could not study these things. Carbon neutral propulsion. Someone help me out there. Um, and I, she, she's obviously had an interest in all of this from a, a very young age. You can follow her on Twitter. She's at dragongirl94. And speaking of getting into aviation as uh, at a pretty young age, um, certainly some of our co-hosts today have had that experience. So um, Ariel, do you want to tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up? Basically, yeah, said, well, first, I wanna, first props to her. And also, yes. I don't even know what carbon neutral propulsion is. So, <laughs> I can't say it either. <laughs> way ahead of me. And um, so I had a unique upbringing. I grew up in a family. My grandpa was one of the first Native American pilots who started an airline. My dad started an airline. All my aunties and uncles fly. My sisters fly. So it wasn't really a matter of if I was going to get my pilot's license, it was always just when I was going to do it. And I said it before, so I'm like, I'm not afraid of, of the FAA right now because I'm not flying. But, um, but like, I mean, legally, I didn't get my pilot's license till I was like 20 or something. But then I've been, I mean, me and my sisters had our hands on the yokes by the time we were like three or something. So it's just, it's always, it's always been in our blood and it's awesome. But I mean, it says so much more about her though, because I was like born into a family of flying and it seemed like she just had this like passion and this yearning to get in there and to fly. So that's pretty awesome. And I know like Jody, you should tell your story of how you got into flying. And I'm sure we'll talk about that more later too. Yeah. So I figured out I wanted to fly at a pretty young age. I was 12, um, but I didn't have any family in aviation. So it was very uncharted territory for me. And I made friends with somebody who was in Air Cadets and they brought me along with them. So I earned my scholarship through Air Cadets and I got my private pilot license when I was 18. But I've been studying for it since I was like 14 to try and get it going. And I found that if you start from a young age, it's definitely easier because there's more resources available to help the youth out. Um, so that was definitely an asset in, in just getting into aviation and just jumping in head first, regardless of the fact that I didn't know anything about planes or aviation when I started out. So it's really cool that you had a family to, to take you under your wing and like try out the controls before. And that was always like a huge dream of mine. So I didn't get to try my first uh, fan flight till I was like 16, but I was just hooked. Yeah, that's so awesome. And we're actually going to, you know, this is all about celebrating women in all aspects of aviation. And we have a whole bunch of um, uh, interviews from women who actually got into it at a much later age. So it's going to be interesting to kind of compare and contrast that going forward too. So, um, all right, moving on. We've actually, uh, never fear, uh, a little bit back to the usual format of Plain Talking UK. Just a little do, bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Just, just, a, just to, you know keep the spirit of the show going we've got a, com- a commercial news story and i think ariel's going to take this one for us cool so I'll, so we're talking about doris harrikay and i'm sorry if i pronounce here i don't have a, my english is not that great when it comes to reading but so doris harrikay an employee at the gd aviation site in Van- vandalia ohio celebrated a very special work anniversary on February 21st. It was her 70th year of working at the facility. That's pretty amazing. Harakay's career started at the age of 18 with the Leland Electric Company in Dayton, Ohio. Through the um, through the years, Leland Electric Company eventually became integrated into General Electric. There are now about 350 people working on general electrical power systems across 
several key platforms, including F-18, Apache, Hawk, Triton, 777, 777X, um, the CH-47, and the C-130J. During her staggering 70-year career, Herake has had many different roles. Her favorite among them all, though, is in the stockroom, where she has worked for 34 years. Through her trusty pencil and paper, though her trusty pencil and paper um, long since has been replaced by a computer, Herake says that the stockroom is a lovely place to work. So lovely, in fact, that she has no plans to retire. That's pretty amazing. As long as my health holds up, she says, I'm planning on staying. I like to keep busy. So that is Doris Herake. And I think we're going to show a little video. A couple pictures. Okay. Oh, Perfect. just some pictures. This is a live show for you. And it's, yeah. <laughs> But how amazing is that, though, that, I mean, I can't even hold a, a job, like the same job for a year. And so she, it shows I can't like imagine a, even living to 70, living to 70, much less working at a place as an adult for 70 years. The same I mean, place. that's insane. At the same place. Yeah. yeah. I imagine yeah. that everyone there knows her and has all kinds of interesting stories and experiences. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Well, so I am very privileged to introduce our next little video here. Um, we got sent in a segment from Kanchana Gamage. She is a pilot, a STEM educator, and the founder of the Atri uh, excuse me, Aviatrix Project. Um, she grew up in Sri Lanka, and she dreamt of flying and becoming an engineer. So another one of these uh, women who, from a very young age, just wanted to be in aviation. And her work now allows her to mix her love of teaching along with her love of aviation. And so she brings the Aviatrix Project to over 500 schools and colleges across the UK. So let's check it out. With the International Women's Day this year, I've reflected a lot about why I started to fly and what made me feel really passionate about helping others to fly too. I'm Kanchana Gamage and I hope to share a little of my aviation journey with you all. From my early years, I was really passionate about a STEM career. Growing up in Sri Lanka, below the approach to Colombo Airport, I dreamt about flying the vast oceans. I moved to England in my teenage years and I still held the ambition to become a pilot. Lack of knowledge about opportunities and certainly lack of finances meant that this dream never materialised. Well, not then anyway. After much thought, I decided to pursue a career in education and became a teacher, a head teacher and most recently a lecturer. My passion for aviation remained though throughout my life and in my early 30s I was able to gain my private pilot's licence. But I've been really frustrated by the lack of cohesive STEM education programmes and the clear lack of diversity in the industry. So I decided to create the Aviatrix project in 2015. The vision was simple, raise aspirations and inspire everyone to take to the skies. The main aim of the project is to encourage young people from all backgrounds to consider a career in aviation aerospace. I realised that I had something really unique to offer by combining my two passions and my two areas of expertise. I could now help to bridge the gap between aviation and education. 
Our volunteers regularly visit schools, colleges, aviation events and air shows, and offer assemblies and workshops, as well as mentoring and also flight opportunities. And these are all offered without cost. They aim to inspire young people to aspire to do something that they never thought possible. And they're from all areas of the industry, from pilots, engineers, and air traffic controllers. And they also represent different flying disciplines from rotary, fixed wing, ballooning, gliders, and also drones. What I love is that they've got a story to tell. You know, it's not financially viable for everyone to enter the flight deck, but it is possible with the right solutions and pathways and the right support. And we tap into the concerns of young people and families and support them to achieve their dreams. Since the start of the project in 2015, I've been part of countless conversations about STEM education and diversity and inclusion. It's often centered around how we can inspire more women to enter the industry and how we can overcome the financial barriers. What's clear is that not much has really changed in the last 10 years. And I'm often asked why I do what I do and why I champion aviation. And it's not just because of my love of aircraft. Now, I do believe that aviation is such an important part of our economy. And I believe that it will play a vital role in the recovery from the pandemic. And that's why it's so important that we support young people and those who want to enter the industry. And role models are so key to this. You can't be what you can't see. You know, this is such a true statement. And it's certainly true for me. I wanted to fly since I was about three years old, but it was really at the age of 31 that I achieved my dreams. And I know that the lack of visible role models had a big part to play in that. But role models can't work in isolation, nor can it be a tokenistic gesture. It can't be one assembly, one workshop or one STEM outreach event. It needs to be targeted and sustained. What I have learned from my career spanning 15 years in the education industry is that children do form perceptions at an early age around six seven years old they form perceptions about their careers and gender stereotypes of course career aspirations can change but those early ideas do stay if you've got stem aspirations at eight ten you're likely to have them at 14 18 into university and beyond if we know that gender imbalance takes hold at such an early age, it's important to know that outreach in universities and colleges, even secondary, isn't the best answer. We need to start much, much younger. That's why I'm so passionate about the work that we do. We do a huge amount of work in the primary age range, in primary schools, early year settings and also community groups. For me, it's a long game. I see it as cultivating and nurturing future talent. And that's how we inspire the next generation. I know that we'll reap the rewards in 10 years. I know that we will see young people we've worked with on the flight deck or as engineers and in STEM careers. And diversity and inclusion isn't just about women. It's about all underrepresented groups in society. We know that organisations thrive when there's a diverse workforce. So not only is it the right thing to do, but it's the smart thing to do. This is why we ensure that we've got a diverse range of ambassadors. There are still perceptions around what pilots and engineers look like. We believe that there are no limits and only the ones that we've put there as a society. We work together to change perceptions held by families, parents and teachers so that we can break the cycle of underrepresentation. And I do believe that we're at a crossroads and there is some progress being made. 
but it takes passionate people with the right mindset to make that change. We focus on inspirational role models, high quality STEM outreach, and always keeping the principles of diversity and inclusion at the forefront of our minds. But what I do know is that aviators are incredibly resilient. Despite the crisis in the industry, there's been so much determination and support for each other. I feel a great sense of responsibility as a female Bane pilot to make a difference. And if I've made a difference to just one young person, then I feel that all of her work is worthwhile. I love that video. I think that she is amazing. And um, I will mention that the Aviatrix Project has partners, including Stansted Airport, Aerozone, uh, the Shuttleworth Collection, EasyJet, British Women's Pilots Association, and lots more. So that's some pretty big partners there. Um, they deliver to mixed audiences and they have 145 volunteers at the moment of both genders. Um, each visit is personalized to the school or organization and a particular favorite recently has been the workshop with display pilots from, oh boy, the <laughs> Yakovlevs. <laughs> I'm sorry That's if I wrong. murdered that. Uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, learning about formation flying and aerobatics. So that is all very cool. I, I am very excited to hear her talk about um, kind of having visible role models as a child, you know, her growing up in Sri Lanka. Um, I'm sure that there aren't many female role models in aviation. You know, I, I know some, um, but having female role models of color or from a different region is super important so that young girls can see what they can be, right? So um, I think that's pretty important. Um, you can follow her at the aviatrixproject.com and she's on social media everywhere, it seems. <laughs> um, yeah, so what? who were your role models when you were a child, ladies? Because, you know, I'm not part of the aviation world uh, directly, but um, oh my gosh! I'm going to throw that to, to Jody. I think because she's yeah. probably got the <laughs> clearest I sense think, of that. Uh, when I started, because I didn't have a family that was in aviation, I didn't have any role models, and uh, not until I got my first mentor when I started to learn to fly tail dragger and aerobatics, somebody really took me under their wing. But when we talk about how representation matters and having those role models. When I fly an air show, I'll go to the autograph booth and I'll have young women come up to me and go, I didn't know I could be a pilot. My dad told me I couldn't because I was a woman. And it took me a really long time because I didn't think I was special for flying a plane without you know, <laughs> being yeah, a man. I, I, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, so when, when people came up and told me that that made a difference to them and, and that let them know that they could do it and showed them that that was an opportunity it made it real to me that it mattered because they just weren't exposed to it and they didn't see it. And a lot of people in the terminals when I was flying the airlines had never seen a female pilot before and some of them would stop me and like take photos with us. So I think just showing people from a young age that that is actually achievable and making it known that that's an option, that's such a wonderful thing that they're doing. I think it's just so much easier to picture yourself doing something when you, you know, if you're, if you're, of a young age, if you're impressionable, um, to picture yourself doing something when you grow up, it's much easier to visualize that if you can see someone who looks like you in that role. So whatever that is, I mean, there's, you know, the vast array of humanity around the globe. So it's nice to have, um, role models from all walks of life. Yeah. And if you can inspire just one person, you know, that one person can go on to do amazing things like Kanchana has done. 
Um, So, and she is in the chat room. That's amazing. Thank Mm. you so much for joining us. I'm excited. (laughs) I hope I didn't butcher your story. (laughs) Um, Whereas I was super excited to see your video. So thank you so much for for contributing to the show. But Megan, you also said a a really, um, an important word earlier, just being curious about something. And I think it's so important for kids if they are curious in something, it doesn't even have to be flying. It could be being a mechanic or it could be a teacher, but if something makes you curious, I think we're losing that, um, that ability to be like, what's around that river bend? What's beyond that mountain? What, what's in the sky? How does that work? I think we're losing our sense of curiosity. So I think if you start instilling that in kids when they're younger, just be curious about something, it's so important. So if you're at all curious about flying or aviation, um, explore those questions that you have and just get out there and stay curious because that's so important. I love it. And we have so many links to organizations. I think um, Jody did some extensive research for us and she'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, that's important too. So we do have another story coming up. We have a commercial news story. This one comes from the AOPA. Um, this is actually a study from Embry-Riddle University on gender and racial bias. So in an experiment, participants were shown pictures of current female and male commercial pilots of various races and were asked to rate their opinions on the quality of the pilot. Professionalism, flight safety, smoothness of flight, and confidence in the pilot. In the case of student pilots, participants rated their perception of likeliness to succeed in training. And in both studies, results indicated that consumers and other pilots favored white males in all conditions. I mean, white we, females. We, all, we, all, we have some you know, uh, white males in our lives that we, we know and love. So we're not, you know. That we do have some yes. that we know and love. Yes. But, but, but that's insane that our perceptions yes. are based on gender and race, while female and minorities were viewed less favorably. Um, so the Embry Riddle uh, ERAU professor of human factors, Stephen Rice, said the aviation industry needs to be more aware that this bias exists. Uh, because they need to make sure that their hiring process is fair to women and minorities. And I think that's a huge point. Um, You don't know, I guess, gender bias needs to be questioned, right? You need to check yourself. (laughs) Um, So this is a good way to check yourself. Nadine Ragbeer, the lead author of the paper and an Embry-Riddle PhD student said, being in a school centered around aviation, we could not help but ask ourselves if these biases exist in airline passengers and pilots alike. The research paper pointed out that bias could deprive the industry of the best job candidates. Um, I will say my husband is a feminist and I love him for it. Armando, you may know him. Um, you know, my lesser half, (laughs) kidding, (laughs) my my other equal half, um, he is always very vocal about making sure that women are in aviation because of women's specific qualities and the ability for us to be, you know, multitasking and thinking from a, a logical component and an emotional component, because, you know, there are just, there's so many dynamic factors that go into safe and effective flying that I don't really know much about personally, but it makes a lot of sense um, that, you know, gender equality and racial equality is super important because we all bring something very special and important to the table. Well, it's like the female, oh, sorry. 
Oh, sorry. I was going to tell a story about uh, one of the first times I flew with another female captain on the Dash 8 when I was flying the Q400. A guy poked his head in the cockpit that was getting on as a passenger. And he looked in and he said, oh, there's there's two of you up here. And he looked sort of concerned. And I remember Kira had the most perfect response. She just looked at him. She goes, yeah, they let us vote too. and then we had a great flight and but yeah you definitely do run into those perceptions in the industry mm-hmm. that's yeah. unfortunate that it's still happening today and I think that's why you know what we were talking about going back to Katana's um, video even just having that representation and seeing people fulfilling those roles from all backgrounds all races genders everything is is so important because if you don't see it you know then your biases start to creep in whether it's something you're actively thinking about or not intentional yeah yeah and just like and and i think women have to capitalize on what our strengths are to where we're patient we're more empathetic and compassionate and so it's, it's definitely there's so many strengths in being a woman and being a pilot that we could use to our advantage and so i mean like someone was saying the other day, you don't need a dick to fly a plane. Like you don't. Like you, <laughs> family like show, you Ariel. I'm, Wait, I, I'm filling in the mat role, so I have to say family show. Okay, but I mean, yeah, but I mean, it's not like we're out lifting. Like just like we we don't need a lot of physical strength, even though I mean, women are physically strong. But I think we have so many other um, qualities in in our female whatever this is, um, that makes us good pilots. So it's a, it's a good thing that we're all women and we're pilots and like, go us. <laughs> Love it. So Ariel, um, uh, we're, we're going to spend a little time during the show, um, getting to know each one of us. We've all been uh, co-hosts or guest hosts of this show before plain talking UK. Um, I forget how many, uh, John and I were talking last night about how many shows I've managed to appear on. And it was way, way more than I thought. This 15? is my 15th, yeah. 15th appearance on this, this show. So, uh, I guess, uh, 15th live appearance. Yes. I suppose there have been some pre-recorded or other things before, but, um, so we're going to spend a little bit of time just uh, talking to one another and introducing ourselves to the listeners. And um, I'm going to uh, spend a little bit of time talking to Ariel to get started. So um, yeah, uh, so thinking back to when you were on the show last, that was episode 327. So I, John, tell me how long ago that was here. Do we know? July. Okay. So, so July of last year. Yeah. Of okay. last year. Yeah, I know. Last 2020 was such a yeah. blur. Oh, yeah. I don't even know what it is anymore. I know. I'm, I'm, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I do so know this Friday. It is. Yes. <laughs> That's, Very a start. Important. That's a start. That's a start. Doing real good. <laughs> so you were on that episode uh, back in July, 327, and they, you guys talked a lot about how aviation was a part of your family. We kind of talked about that already a little bit, but for anyone who's been living under a rock and doesn't know about you or your family, can you um, just share a little bit more maybe about um, what it was like growing up in your family? Everyone was aviation-minded. Yeah, well, it was the only thing I knew. Um, I grew up in a small village in Alaska, and the only way in and out is by airplane. And so, I mean, from a young age, I've, I knew I wanted to fly because I knew I wanted to get out of the village. And so I was like, well, I guess I need to learn, get some wings before I could leave here. But, um, so that was the thing, but I was just, I was so lucky growing up the way I did because I, I mean, 
I, I'm obsessed with my parents. I love my parents so much and they're the most supportive people. And so fly, I'll be super honest, like flying was never the thing that I wanted to do as a career. Like I knew I, I love flying and I'm passionate about it, but I, I've always wanted to work in TV and film and like Betty White and um, Dick Van Dyke. Like those were my people. Like I wanted to be caught com- like in comedy and all, and I love making people laugh and I like pe- making people smile but um, flying is just a tool that would help me get there because I was really fortunate that our flying show opened a lot of career doors for me. And, and now like, mm-hmm. I'm super proud to say that I can fly and that I, like, I, like I do fly, but um, it's, it definitely helped open all these other opportunities for me. But yeah. So back to your question, growing up in the village was, um, made me who I am. It like made me like, uh, made, I'm proud that I'm an indigenous person. I'm proud that I'm part Norwegian. I'm proud that I have two sisters and then I dog race. And I think this, uh, I'm a lot more complex than just being just a pilot or a woman or whatever. I think there's a lot more to all that, but I'm super grateful and lucky that I grew up where I did. And um, I love going back home. Oh, for sure. I mean, so I've definitely watched episodes of the show. Uh, it's, it's a really fascinating look into, um, basically, I mean, just life in Alaska in general too, because that's so different for those of us who live in other parts of the world or even other parts of the United States. You know, I grew up in the Midwest and I live in the South now and it's, it's definitely not the same. You can get places on road. I mean, I know you're not living in Alaska in a small village anymore, but very different when you can just get in the car and go places or, or have easy access to other places in the world. So that definitely is, is really super interesting. Um, you talked a little bit about your family, speaking of women in aviation things, your mom, Ferna, was a big part of the, the business as well. Um, can you, did she get into that? Um, just because it was part of the family because she, because it was what your dad was doing. How did she? Yeah. Well, my mom, my mom started flying before my dad. Uh, So, so here's a fun woman, like strong woman fact. So my grandpa started Ryanair, but my grandma, my grandma bought him his first airplane with her teaching money. So Uh my grandma was the one that actually got it it all going. Like she, she, my grandma is 90, like 91. She won the first ever hunter and fisherman award in all of Alaska, male or female. She, my, my grandpa died before I was born. Like um, when my mom was like a sophomore in high school. So my mom, my grandma raised 10 kids, doctors, teachers, pilots, like she's just amazing. And so um, my mom is just as incredible as my grandma and she was so strong like she carries a bullwhip like she <laughs> you don't want to mess with mama bear she, she seems you, like yeah. quite the character really like yeah. I mean, if her, oh man yeah definitely lots She's, of personality there so much personality and like we so I actually haven't even seen our show um I saw maybe like part of the premiere and then I was like that's how I sound that's how I walk. <laughs> and then our producer was like, here, let's go sit at the bar. You're not allowed to watch yourself anymore. And so after that, I was just like, yeah, never watching myself again. Cause you've become too critical of the way you are. And I'm like, I like who I am. I don't need to watch it and try to fix myself. And so, so I don't watch it, but back to my mom, I think she would have gotten on the show a lot more, but they had to edit out everything. Cause the whole show would have been like, beep, so so I'm just like mom you can't talk like that around like strangers and so she's just she's so great but I I think I said it earlier the most supportive people I 
when I first started, like I wanted to be the first girl in the NBA and my mom and dad were like, yeah, you're going to be like, tell us your goals and we're going to help you get there. And my mom is just like, if I, if me and my sisters tell her, it's like, Hey, I want to like make it to the moon one day. She's like, okay, what do we got to do? You're going to the moon one day and Mm -hmm. just so, so great. And so I'm so, so lucky to have parents like them, but um, yeah, my mom and my grandma just amazing role models. And especially, you know, from the, the female aspect of it, the, the women's side of your family, that's amazing about your grandmother. I had no idea about that type of stuff. And then your mom as well. And so comment from, yeah. Yeah. She says, I actually started flying because of Air Alaska show. Before that, I didn't even know being a pilot was accessible. So Ariel, you have already inspired I mean I'm sure you've inspired lots of young people young girls uh, um but yeah somebody in the chat room has been inspired by you directly yeah. so carrying carry on that tradition you know that that just directly flows in uh, forward from there from what your grandmother did to you or to your mom to you and then on to you know people you don't even know personally so that's that's awesome. amazing well thank you so much that means a lot that people are inspired and that's just I mean that's my goal. I feel like, and my like purpose is to get people inspired to follow their passions and to follow their dreams. And so, um, it was, Izzy, thank you for, um, for watching and for being inspired and keep it up, keep it up. Um, so real quick, I know we we could probably talk for quite a long time about all the different adventures and things you're doing and aviation related things, but, um, going on to your current career in television documentaries, you've been traveling around the world. Um, what have you learned the most about other cultures, other places? What surprised you? What's inspired you? Um, anything interesting or noteworthy? I think I think the biggest thing, so I, I wrapped my first movie last year. It's called Into America's Wild, and I'm working in cartoons, and right now I'm developing a series in Africa about human, evol- about evolution, but not really saying it's about evolution. But I think the biggest thing I've learned is that we're all so much more similar than we are different. I think I was just in Africa and just watching the little kids there about what happiness means to other people, what, um, what matters in life is just, it's about connection and it's about your relationships and it's about following your dreams and your passions and your purpose. And, um, I think people think that just because we look different or we act different or we're from different places or believe in different religions or have different political views, um, that it's it's black and white, but it's really not. I think we're all human. Humans are so much more similar across the board than we are different, and that's something that really stuck with me these last couple of trips that I took. So I hope that made sense. Yeah, I think you know the more you broaden your horizons there, the more people you get to know. The more the smaller the world actually becomes. You know, you realize yes. how much is actually out there, but then it becomes smaller in terms of feeling like you know other people, other cultures, yeah. other things. Um, yeah, and, and then, then also how much. Um, also how much I don't know like mm. it's it blows my mind every day how little I know about people and the world because <laughs> I one like this morning I'll wake up and I'm like yeah, I know a lot and then this conversation happens you're like Jesus I don't know anything and so <laughs> it's like what's that quote the more you know the more you know you don't know and yeah I think the more you mo- the more you know the more you don't know right that's, yeah something yeah something. and I'm just like yeah so so And then just real quickly, you know, we've talked about some barriers uh, for women in aviation. Have you, especially traveling the world and doing stuff in Africa and other places, have you run into any of those same barriers in the film industry? Or is there anything that aviation could learn from things you've been surprised about in the film industry? Um, I've been super lucky. Like, I I wish I had a story that was like, oh, man, I got screwed so hard. But I I haven't, like, I, I think I've... 
I've been really lucky and I surround myself with positive people. And I think that's a big lesson too, is like, you have a choice to hang around certain types of people. You have a choice to, um, to work in different circles. And I just, I think one of my superpowers is picking the right friends and picking people that are uplifting and happy. And, um, so I've been, I haven't had any, um, people telling me that I couldn't do things or that I'm not allowed to. And, and if they were, then I would just be like, yeah, later. I'm, I'm going to yeah, go and, and actually, actually wrong. I think that's, a, that's a good point <laughs> yeah. because I think, you know, if you do uh, for, cause we've definitely heard those stories. I know I have, I'm sure Jody has from women who are, who run into a lot of barriers. And if you're encountering that, you know, you don't have to stay in that situation. You can, right. you can change who you surround yourself with. So don't be yeah. afraid to to make those changes. Oh yeah. Don't be afraid. And it's like, it's your, this is your, your life and it's so short. And so who wants to hang around with a bunch of like negative dicks? Like I, like I, I want to be around, like I want to yes. be around positive, positive people that are uplifting and women, like people think there's cattiness and like, sure there's competitiveness, but I'm like, I want to go and fight for my sisters. Like mm-hmm. I want to feel genuinely happy when my girlfriends do well. And I want them to feel generally like genuinely happy when I do well. And so I'm like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to hang out with girls and women that fight for me and I'm, I want to fight for them. And so that's, that's just how I want to live my life. So. That's, I think we all agree completely. I would love Beautiful. it. I love that your so superpower powerful. is finding friends who are supportive of you. I think that's so mm-hmm. crucial in so many, so many areas of life. Like I'm the same way. I've had so many, I've had a lot of friends over my lifetime and then the ones that have stuck are the ones that uplift me and I can uplift them. And we're very supportive of one another. So speaking yeah. of things that support one another, um, that's probably a good segue into it our next segue. Uh, little segment yes. here. So I actually came across this organization called Sisters of the Skies. Um, and I was very impressed with this organization. They were actually just very recently established in 2016, Um, They only have about 90 members at the moment, so they're very small, Um, but that's because this is an organization for Black female pilots, and in the U.S., there are actually less than 150 Black female pilots um, currently flying for airlines and military combined. So of those 150, there are 90 members of this group, the Sisters of the Skies. Uh, So the organization's mission is actually to increase these numbers, obviously, um, through scholarship and mentorship and outreach. And we did contact them to see if they'd be able to come and join us and talk for a little while. But um, I think they're very, very busy. And considering there's only 90 of them, (laughs) um, they're probably far stretched. So uh, the Sisters of the Skies are really passionate about growing the numbers of Black female pilots. And um, we certainly support them. You can actually go and get more information about them at their website, sistersoftheskies.org. So yeah, I think it's, again, back to the representation conversation and supporting one another, Um, Sisters of the Skies being an organization for Black women pilots, um, I think is incredibly, incredibly motivational and powerful. Um, So yeah, go check them out if you can. Now, this is an organization for professional pilots. So they have um, to be military or or commercial. commercial. Yep. And so, uh, they're they're doing a lot of outreach to try and grow those numbers. Exactly. Exactly. And, and again, like I mentioned before, we've got a bunch of organizations that we are going to highlight, um, so that women can get into aviation. So, 
um, yeah, just wanted to give them a shout out because I thought they were a really great organization. So it looks like we have um, another video that we had submitted. And Jody, if you'd like to set us up for this one. All right, I'll take it away. So this one, uh, we've talked a lot about getting into aviation when you're younger and sometimes the importance of having role models for younger generation is important. So uh, everyone does need to have that sort of role model and we, we sort of lose sight of that and how important that can really be in our, our formative time. So we're gonna talk to Polly Vasher, an MBE. She's someone who's gotten into aviation at the young age of 45. <laughs> And she has learned to skydive since. She's also flown around the world, not once, but twice in her Piper Dakota and flown into all sorts of airfields in the UK uh, in the Jepson Manual. These flights raised money for flying scholarships for disabled individuals. And she was awarded the MBE, member of the most excellent order of the British Empire for her services to charity in 2002. So without further ado, we'll... Uh, Check out that video. Hello, I'm Polly Vasher, and I'm a private pilot uh, who didn't learn to fly until I was 50. That isn't to say I didn't really want to fly. I absolutely always wanted to fly, but it just wasn't possible at the time. And so it was that when I was 45, I did a sponsored skydive um, and got really hooked on skydiving. And I now have 245 skydives in my logbook. So my message is we must always follow our dreams. And in, uh, when we were 50, my husband and I both took our first flying lesson together in Australia. We got our licenses. And before we left Australia, where we lived for two years, then um, we hired an aeroplane and flew ourselves around the circumference of Australia, up the centre, across the Simpson Desert and back to where we lived in Canberra. This gave me the love of long distance flying. And so it was in 1997, I flew my single engine Piper Cherokee Dakota across the North Atlantic to America. Met my husband in America and we flew around the, the, America and Canada and then I flew back again solo across the North Atlantic. And this really gave me the love of long distance flying. It was so exciting and so challenging. And so it was in 2001 that I did my first round the world flight in the same Piper Dakota. Um, which you can see the model here beside me. And I flew east about with, so that the prevailing winds uh, would push me along a little bit. And um, I had, it was a very challenging four months down to Australia, across the Pacific, up to America and back across the North Atlantic. Well, having done that, then what's the next big challenge? Well, the next big challenge was to fly around the world, over the North Pole and the Antarctic. And so it was in 2003 and four uh, that I uh, flew up to the North Pole, across the North Pole, down through America, down to the Antarctic and back up again to Australia and back home. 
and this was a tremendous challenge which is is wonderful to to have the opportunity to to achieve but the main one of the main purposes of these flights was to raise awareness and funds for flying scholarships for disabled people well i had great experiences as as a pilot i i think probably i wouldn't um i would love to have done it professionally but i wasn't able to start at a young enough age but never mind just follow your dreams and so it was that eventually i was not able to fly anymore this happens to most people you lose your license for some reason or other as you get older and mine was very sudden because i lost my sight in my right eye following an operation that went horribly wrong but i had the most amazing thing happen while i was lying in hospital feeling very sorry for myself because i wouldn't be able to fly anymore um i had a card from a vicar in a church in north wales uh saying that she hoped that i would uh, be able to cope with whatever happened and that was a light bulb moment i thought i know what i'll do i'll drive my donkeys from my home in south in south oxfordshire to the church in north wales and this is what i'm planning to do this summer i've called it a donkathon because it's 200 miles and we'll be doing about 8 miles a day slightly slower than my flying um but they are donkeys and we're going to do this uh to raise funds for multiple sclerosis research because my nephew has got this terribly uh debilitating progressive disease of the central nervous system uh which very often manifests itself in young people as it did with my nephew he was 26 when he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and uh, so this is the purpose of the donkathon and our website is www.donkathon.org What an incredible woman. So in a recent interview, Polly said that there's actually loads of similarities between planning a donkathon and around the world flight. And having encountered a couple <laughs> stubborn pilots myself, I can see what she's <laughs> That's great. <laughs> her donkathon is going to take her a month. It requires tons of training, a carefully planned route, and it's very challenging and rewarding. So if you guys want to get more information on the Donkathon, you can check out donkathon.org. She's already at 28% of her 25,000 euro goal. And if you'd like to donate to her cause, it'll be justgiving.com/donkathon. I love that. <laughs> also, it seems that everybody in the chat room is super enamored with her. They're all like, "This is super I, cool. Donkathon, uh, we're in." <laughs> so inspiring it's hard uh, and, to argue uh, with a good donkathon right <laughs> absolutely she is she has also written a book um all about her flight from the north pole to antarctica uh wings around the world is the name of this book and it is the story of her epic flight from the north pole to antarctica and you can get it on amazon yeah so pretty awesome. cool That is really cool. Yes. 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about um, getting into aviation at an early stage in life. So this is definitely the kind of the opposite of that. She didn't start flying until she was 45 was when she got into aviation, um, which I think is pretty amazing to, you know, still have a long enough uh, so I can career. still get in. Oh, I can still, <laughs> I can still try. You know what? My husband has given me a book uh, because we talk about being uh, very safe in our flying adventures. Mm-hmm. We have a six-year-old, and she actually just for the first time went for a flight with us. And I was just I trust my husband innately with my life and everything. Um, but when we took our six-year-old up, I was like, Oh God, I don't want to be a part of this, but I do, but I don't, but I do. And so (laughs) it happened and it was amazing and she loved it. And she was allowed to take the controls and she did amazing. Um, and so I forget where I was going with this. Oh, so my lovely husband, you know, regular host on this show, uh, bought me this book, which is kind of like a, uh, a, I don't have to plug Armando. Yeah. Um, so uh, he, he got me this book, which is kind of like a flying instruction light. And it's just kind of like, here's what to know about uh, airplane engines. Here's what to know about it's, Oh, there we go. We've got I, have it. A, I have a copy of this, this <laughs> flying instruction manual. If you can switch to my camera, there you go. Yeah. A flying pilot, companion. pilot friendly manual from passenger to helpful crew member, 50 tasks, a non-pilot can complete. And so, yeah, I, I am kind of stepping into this very slowly, but I do want to at least be helpful and, and understand kind of what I can do to, um, to help make us a safer flying couple. So I, I don't know, flying as a, as a hobby even sounds so scary to me. I know that it's possible. Um, it's this is just how a little, it, this is how it starts, Megan, right? right? It's a slippery slope. <laughs> it's one step at a time from, you know, marrying a pilot to then, you know, flying together and we'll doing, see. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, so exactly. maybe I will be one of these, uh, starting aviation at 45 years old and then do some long distance solo flying. I mean, Hey, why not? It's never too late. I mean, the oldest pilot I ran into, he was 65 when he started and I met him when he was 90. So when I was saving up for my flight instructor rating, he was a regular at my bar. He would come in for one Guinness at 5 p.m. every day and he found out I was a pilot and I couldn't afford to fly because I was just saving my pennies trying to get my first job. And he would take me up in his uh, Piper Warrior and he was a phenomenal awesome. pilot. I learned so much from him. And he started so late in life, people thought it was impossible. But he flew that thing till he was like 92. Mm. Yeah, I remember back to when I was doing my um, private pilot training as well. There was another lady um, working. And I don't know if I, I, I left before finding out if she ever completed getting her license. But she was 70 or 72, I think, and had just started. She's like, nope, I always wanted to to try this. So, you know, she would come out and fly with the instructors and, and they said she was doing great as a student. So it's, you know, as long as, um, your health kind of permits and you have the passion to do it, I say, say, go for it. I am incredibly inspired by all of you ladies. That's for sure. And I am just getting more excited thinking about, you know what I want to do, Steph? I want to talk to you a little bit later, (laughs) Okay, but I would love to find a female, uh, instructor. That would be amazing. Do you know of any? I do. I can help. I can help there. Um, you know, just, just real quick, we're going to move on from this because I know we we have a whole lot more of the show, but, um, Interesting for me in in this uh, video, Polly Vetcher is a she's done two hundred and forty something skydives as well, and she wow. started that later in life. So she's actually got more jumps than I do. Oh, I know. <laughs> wow. I You'll get there. Yeah, I, I kind of I've been doing that for a long time, but I 
you know, jump here and there. So, um, yeah, wow. the whole, the whole doctor thing gets in the way. There's, there's some other hobbies and, and <laughs> life things going on. So but yeah, that that's awesome. I'm glad she's done all those things. It's, it's amazing. That's awesome. Well, speaking of inspirational female pilots, Jody Ruger, I am tasked with getting to know you. And I am told that you were back here on episode 348 back in December. Do you remember this? This wasn't that long ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I do. You guys are very memorable. (laughs) Oh, good. Well, not us because the guys, you know, yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> the, the usual stuff, but we, but we are also memorable. Um, so what have you been up to since then? Uh, well, since then, I have uh, still not been able to work for the airlines again. So to keep myself busy, I've been learning aircraft maintenance. And I feel like that is one of the next best things that I can do to help myself become a better pilot and have a really thorough understanding of my systems especially because I fly so many experimental planes that don't have a pilot operating handbook. You just have to know, you know, are you running a continental engine or a light combing? Is it fuel injected? Is it carbureted? And how is that going to react under different circumstances? So you can actually diagnose a lot of issues and prevent yourself from getting stranded on the road. Um, And that's one of the things that I was inspired to do when I lost my mentor earlier this summer. He was such a huge part of my life and he did a lot of the maintenance installing my smoke system. and, And I learned a ton from him and I realized you know, when, when people like this go away, we need to be able to pass on those skills, you know, not just to ourselves, but the next generation as well. So I found a shop uh, here with the Thunder Mustang. And that's how I sort of got into the position of being the air show pilot for the Thunder Mustang is I expressed a really big interest in learning the maintenance at this shop. And they took me under their wing and started giving me some experience towards my AMP. I thought that I was just going to come in for a a quick annual. And as I learned more about the planes and how to do everything correctly, I have been just absolutely ripping my part, (laughs) as you may see. So we've actually removed the um, smoke tank because I'm going, or the fuel tank rather, I'm going to be making a custom smoke tank to try and get like a world record on the most smoke oil you can get in a pits because it's not much and I would like to have a really awesome air show in it so we're like relocating the brake reservoir to go the other side of the firewall we've just started to rip this thing apart head to tail and uh, I'm hoping to just have a really awesome air show season if things start to calm down and the world opens up and be able to make some really exciting media content and pursue some sponsors until the airline industry picks back up that looks and sounds terrifying um (laughs) but I'm sure you've got it handled that's really that's but like the fact that you lost your mentor and so now you have to kind of get to know all of these things is probably incredibly beneficial I know for myself like a lot of the fear comes from not knowing how systems work um and so it makes sense that that would make you a better pilot right yeah and it, it was really important to me to take that experience and turn it into something positive and um I just never encountered somebody who was just so generous and talented and and skilled. And I figure if I haven't encountered anybody like that in the industry, it's sort of my job to carry on that legacy and learn those skills and be that person to somebody, be that role model or that inspiration or that mentor and guide and help people get to where everybody helped me get to. You know, I was, you know, I I had to learn a lot of this on my own in the last year. And it's just uh, something that's so meaningful for me to be able to to take this on. So I thought that was really cool. And it's, it's keeping me definitely busy. 
Yeah. Because, uh, so this is like a, a TikTok thing, right? Where you're kind yeah. of providing these educational videos on social media. Yeah, that uh, is part of how it started. I started creating educational videos because I did a barrel roll water pour. So I was pouring the water while doing Yes, that is so cool. (laughs) (laughs) And I had a lot of people calling me up saying, oh, that's fake. You're in a simulator. And I was like, well, no, it it really isn't. Actually, I tried really hard to learn how to do that. So I'm offended that you think (laughs) Science people. Yeah. So instead (laughs) of getting offended, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to just treat them like, okay, they just don't know how to do this. So I broke it down. I I started creating these videos where I drilled a hole in a plastic cup and tied it to a rope and swung it around full of water to show them, like, even if you're a five-year-old, this is an experiment you can do at home. This is how positive G-forces work and coordinating the aircraft. And you can really do this. And I started just breaking things down in a really simple way. And then the TikTok Educators Fund for the Creative Learning actually approached me and asked if I could do this. So I'm really lucky that my sponsor has been very flexible. He's allowed me to make a lot of videos of what I'm doing here. If I'm cleaning and gapping spark plugs or doing a composite repair, just showing the brake lines on my pits and how that all works. So I've been breaking down some systems and trying to really condense it into 15 second to one minute segments on something that day, a a different system of the aircraft as I go. That's really cool. So um, you have a lot of experience as an air show performer. Um, and I have been to a couple of air shows and I am just always <laughs> again, terrified. That's like my experience with aviation is, is I'm terrified. These things scare the crap out of me. Um, so how, how did you get into air show performing? Uh, when I was first starting out in college, my dad was dropping me off. I was moving all my stuff there. I was like 18 and we were sitting at this pub getting lunch and I watched the Red Bull air races on TV and I thought that is so cool. And I want to do that when I grow up. I, I still don't think I've grown up. <laughs> but I, uh, and I always thought that pulling G's was fun. Like ever since I was a kid, if we had these two hills close to our house and we, when we got close to it, tell our dad to speed up so we would lose our stomachs. You know, yes. you get like slightly yep. less <laughs> going over the crest of the hill. And I could just never stop smiling when I was pulling G's. And that was always a thing for me. So I, I decided really got to pursue this and find a way to to keep aerobatics in my life and I didn't know if I had the stomach for it I just started looking into buying a plane because there was nothing available to me so I started researching how to start my own aerobatics school and I just never had the the funding available to me when I was first starting out so the eighth time (laughs) that I uh had third-party funding fall through on me, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to join the airlines, get a more lucrative career, and buy my own plane. And so the first year that I flew the Q400, I bought a half share in the Pitts S1 that you see behind me, which is about the most bang for your buck you can possibly get when it comes to aerobatic planes. Um, Then from there, you know, I, I started doing competitive aerobatics before that, as soon as I had moved to BC. And my plane, the short version of the story is my plane got stolen from the flight oh, wow. school by another instructor who just went rogue Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, pretty wild and I had had the plane booked out for like six months it was my very first aerobatic contest I was so excited I've been training so hard and like spending every penny I could save working my second job to to do this so the last minute, the whole aerobatic community came together and they, they lent me a super decathlon, but it was U.S. registered. So I had to have a safety pilot. 
And my safety pilot ended up being an airshow pilot. And he saw how oh, interested lucky. I was in all of this. And in the Red Bull Air Race, you had to be top 50% in the world in competitive aerobatics and have a surface level airshow waiver was the criteria at the time. So he said, hey, would you like to crew for me? I love what you've been doing with the aerobatic club. I won the, the contest even with him in the back <laughs> when I went to my first contest. So he was impressed with my flying. He was trying to train me to become his ferry pilot. And I got to crew at all these different air shows and sit in on the briefings and just learn the ropes and how to build safety margins into everything and, and get the experience and exposure to the industry that I really needed to get started. And uh, that was really valuable to me. That's amazing. I think we actually have a, a video clip. Is that right? Of uh, aerobatics where, um, is this the one where you've got a little girl doing some aerobatics? Yeah. So that little girl, I, I don't think there I've had a cooler oh. kid in my life. <laughs> <laughs> that is she, so cool. She instantly just fell in love with me and uh, she found out that I flew and she's like, will you take me flying? And my mentor is her grandpa. So she saw me at the airport one day and she ran up and she's like, Jody, and she gave me this big hug and she asked if she could come flying with me. So I was like, well, of course, let's just call your dad. And he gave us the go ahead. And I just thought it would be a cute video to make. And this thing went viral, <laughs> like beyond anything that I expected. And she was just so gung ho. She's really, really having fun when we're pulling G's. But anytime yes. we stop, you can see her just like, concentrating really hard on what I'm doing. She was following the controls. She actually tried to rotate the plane. <laughs> wow. Cause I figured out pretty quick. She was going to try and learn how to do what I was doing. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I don't think like, I've ever seen so much joy on a child's oh. face in my life. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she is like one of my favorite human beings. She is just <laughs> a gem and she's so excited. And like her headset falls off and she even knows how to like put it back on. The next yeah. time I took her flying, she ran up in a tutu and asked if we could bring her candy. So I taught her how to float the candy and try and catch it in the air. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so cool. I love it. That is such an awesome experience. I know my daughter is six and when we took her flying um, and she had the controls, she was just kind of, uh, I think she was a little tentative at first, but then she kind of like jerked it really far. And then like, we have a video of her face when that happened. And she was just like, <gasps> it was just pure shock and then <laughs> excitement right after that. And I think maybe we've introduced her to flying now and she's going to- Oh, you've created the monster. caught the bug. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So how would you, because we're talking about kids and um, you've obviously had some really joyous moments with kids and aviation, how would you mentor young women getting into aviation? What would you, uh, how would you give them advice? What advice would you give them, I guess? Um, I guess for me, it, it took me a really long time to understand that when people were making jokes about me, it wasn't us just like razzing each other and I had to be witty back and give them a joke back when they're like, oh, you're going to be my flight attendant. I was like, you know, I would just make a, a wittier joke back than them. It took me, it, I realized after 11 years that some of it wasn't a joke. Mm. <laughs> and so I actually just always treated it exactly the same. You know, if anybody told me I couldn't do it, I just didn't believe them or I thought that they were joking. Like I, I had no reason to believe I should have taken it seriously. So it's the same sort of advice that I would give everybody else, except 
you know, once you realize that that's not a joke, you might want a different support structure in place. And and right. my best friend is the the girl who got her private pilot license with me. So if you're starting young, um, I put a lot of research into scholarships. And, and when I was looking through that, like it was just everywhere. There's, there's tons of scholarships out there and that's how I got my start. Um, or just start showing up at an airfield and you will be surprised how inviting and amazing the culture and experience in aviation is and if you show up there'll be people who are so happy to take you under your wing because aviation is full of such passionate people so just start checking out the airport and ask people about their planes i I haven't met a pilot that doesn't want to talk about their airplane yet (laughs) (laughs) that's a very good point and i have that same experience being um somebody who's not familiar to the aviation world um, just kind of walking up into local airfields with Armando. Um, everybody is super welcoming. It's like a second home now. Like no matter where we go, if we've never been there before, everybody is just like, it, like mi casa, su casa. <laughs> it's great. I love it. Lions and everything. I mean, there's so much fun stuff to do. Yeah, that's awesome. So I think we have another video here. Um, and Ariel, I will let you do the honors here. Vanilla. Cool. Okay, so, <laughs> so fun first I, love it. I know, I know. Vanilla. I love it. So Vanilla has been a pilot for 20 years. She's worked as a seaplane pilot, a flying instructor, and she's also flown in the um, Australian Outback. She's now working in aviation recruitment. We got to know her through the British Women's Pilot Association, which she works with as a career advisor. And so uh, let's get to know her a little bit better. Hi, my name's Fenella Jefferson. I'm originally from New Zealand. I started learning to fly at the age of 30. So I've been flying now for 21 years. I learned to fly in Melbourne, Australia, where I subsequently became a seaplane pilot and then a flying instructor. My most recent flying job was flying around Outback Australia, um, calling on Aboriginal community stores where I was selling hard goods. My tool of trade was six-seater Saratoga. I saw some amazing sights, landed on some very interesting strips and had some very interesting things happen with my aeroplane in that time. I'm now an aviation recruiter here in Southampton in the UK and I'm also uh, on the committee of the British Women's Pilots Association as a careers advisor. I had a passion for flying from the age of two, uh, according to my mother, but uh, I couldn't financially afford to do it until I was 30. So I guess my advice to anyone that's wanting to pursue it is it's never too late. Um, and obviously it's a little bit tricky at the moment with uh, pilot roles because of COVID, but um, I know as a recruiter that I can already see uh, the green shoots coming through again. People will always want to fly. Um, they will always want to travel and people have taken early retirement um, or redundancies or change careers. So there will be uh, aviation jobs again in the future. Um, another road to, to take and instead of becoming a pilot straight away is to go into air traffic control or aviation engineering, which both pay very well. So it can set you up to pursue your, your pilot's license down the track. 
diversity. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of changes with women in aviation in the last 20 years. I'm hoping that we'll start to see a wee bit more, but we're still uh, fairly underrepresented. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, I think I think that's starting to change. I know we don't want to delve too much into any one group. However, the British Women's Pilots Association have been helping us out a lot. And we've reached out to a few really great ladies from this organization. So right now, their scholarships for 2021 are open. And we will provide links to that below in our episode today. We also put a lot of research into other scholarships, as I was saying earlier, when I Googled it, you know, I had over 50 tabs open and people are just trying to give away money here. So all those people who are telling you, oh, I can't get into aviation. It's too expensive. No excuses. Go click the links below. And we are excited to see some of you fly. The British Women Pilots Association, uh, they do have some very female centric ones, but we're going to include links to some broad ranging ones. And they also have scholarships available for all sorts of ranges of experience levels so please go check that out. Indeed. And I think we're going to keep moving on here by highlighting some more awesome members of our aviation community. Um, this next one, I'm really excited to introduce. Yes. This is someone um, I know personally. I think a lot of folks who listen to the show or participated in some of the PTUK meetups will know and recognize uh, this next pilot. Um, so yes, as I said, regular listeners to the Plain Talking UK will know all about who Myla is. For those who don't, we're going to let her explain all about her job as as a cargo pilot on the BAE ATP. So take it away, Myla. Hi guys, my name is Myla and I fly turboprops for a cargo operator in Europe. If you're ever considering a career in aviation as a woman, definitely go for it. It's such a nice job. I love what I do. I've been lucky enough to get this job and fly a really nice turbo aircraft. Um, the operation is challenging and it's not just the flying that I get to do. Uh, as a first officer, I'm also responsible for the loading. I load the aircraft. I uh, work together with the loadmaster on every flight. We look at how much cargo we've got, what kind of cargo we got, and then I prepare the load sheet and give the, the crew's um, instruction on where to put what on the aircraft so that the aircraft is always nicely balanced and in trim. This process before every flight takes about an hour, an hour and a half. I go into the cockpit, I meet the captain and together we fly the aircraft to wherever it is we're going. Um, it's a cliche, definitely, but Every day is different. In our company, we fly a lot of different uh, rotations, a lot of different destinations. Um, we fly in northern Norway, where it's icy and cold and dark during the winter. We also fly in the Mediterranean, where it's really, really warm in summer, nice and sunny. We fly nighttimes, we fly daytimes, we fly early in the morning, late at night, anything in between. Um, so it's a lovely job. I love it. One of the fun things about flying turboprops is that 
we fly around flight level 200, sometimes a little bit lower, sometimes a little bit higher, and this is exactly where the weather is. So that's another challenge we deal with, and uh, we've got a nice weather radar on board, we can fly around it, sometimes we have to go through it. Um, so this is really a good way to work on your skills as a pilot, the operation is nice, the crews are very nice, and you get to see a little bit of Europe. So if you're ever considering career in aviation, don't hesitate to fly cargo. Thank you. Bye. So that was amazing. I love Myla's personality. She is obviously so enthusiastic about aviation and just life in general. And you can really see that. Um, when you get to talk to her, get a chance to meet with her and interact with her. And speaking of which, if you would like to get in contact with Myla, you can ask her more about her journey. You can feel free to email the show podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and we'll be happy to introduce you. Um, I, that's just amazing. I, I know we had a little bit of um, watching the video there. You get a little bit of a sense of what life is like from her perspective. Cargo flying is a completely different beast. Um, lots of uh, back of the clock hours, but I feel like that potentially to... flying some beasts, potentially flying beasts. Yeah, yeah literally. You may, who knows what your cargo actually is. It might be, might be donkeys, might be donkeys. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I think the opportunity for the like sunset and sunrise stuff is that's just so amazing. She always has great stuff on her social medias as well. Um, so this is a great example of a lot of different things too. So not only different type of airline flying essentially. So you're not flying passengers, but this is still very much airline type operations um, and slightly different type of aircraft. We've talked about well, uh, turboprops and Joey was talking about the Q400 earlier as well. Um, and, you know, different, uh, how those different types of aircraft kind of lend themselves to different flying scenarios. So um, not all the way in the, the aircraft that Milo's flying, not all the way up there at the higher flight levels. She's kind of down in the weather and how that leads to different planning and challenges. And, you know, if you've got a load of donkeys as your cargo in the back, you <laughs> may still want to make it a pretty smooth flight. That's so true. You don't want to get kicked in the back of the head for your not smooth flying. <laughs> exactly. All right. The uh, next amazing woman we're going to be highlighting for our Women in Aviation special is Dr. Catherine Bard, is our um, next inspiring woman. So she has worked as the director and head of training and development at airlines and alliances, including British Airways, Star Alliance, Gulf Air, and Emirates. We caught up with her a week or so back to talk about her time in aviation. She was very excited to chat with us. Unfortunately, she's been a little bit under the weather. And we hadn't gotten to get a video of her, but she very kindly sent us her comments on the questions that we originally put to her. And we started off by asking her to tell us a bit about herself, who she is and what she does. So she is the former senior vice president and cabin crew training of Emirates Airlines, 34 years in aviation across the globe, UK, Germany, Australia, the Middle East, and started her career in education as a teacher. She got into aviation by pure chance, she says, <laughs> like all good Aussies. She set out with a backpack on a world tour in the mid-80s, and the rest is history. Her role models in aviation were many and varied. The list is long, but it includes leaders, peers, colleagues, direct reports, and fellow employees in roles across organization hierarchies, geographies, and different airliners that she's worked with. 
At Emirates, she admired and was inspired by amazing people who came from all over the world to make up a cosmopolitan crew community of 140 nationalities. People with incredible backgrounds, education, experience, and stories to tell. Taking on the bold decision to leave home and come to live in a new country, speak new languages, and people sending money home to look after families, build schools, and support orphanages in their home countries. Throughout her career, she had the privilege to work with some incredible people and teams across the world and discovered early on that if you learn, you learn most where you least expect it. To seek out and surround yourself with people much smarter than you, be humble, a compassionate collaborator, and listen. All right. And she says her word on this is congruence. Yes. To be a role model, you must embody and live the principles, values, and expectations you expose every day. She has her own mantra, and it's a quote by the awesome Maya Angelou. I may not remember what you said. I may not remember what you did, but I will always remember how you made me feel. That's beautiful. Uh, So we asked her to tell us a little bit about her thoughts on diversity in aviation. How have things changed and what did we look forward to in the future? She says, still a long way to go in this area. Women play a huge role in the industry. If you look at the volume of employees in the industry, it would be heavily female. Frontline staff, including flight attendants, are 79.2% female in the U.S. The great percentage would be in frontline service roles. The roles need to be given to the gravatas who deserve a key in providing experiences. In the moment that customers have, sorry, customers becoming loyal to the brand, a sweet spot lay in the profits for an airline. The global narrative on women gathering momentum again. Our responsibility is to lift each other up, cheer each other on, and celebrate and applaud achievements. If we are not advocates of other women, we can't expect to move forward. We need to encourage and nurture women to move into the vast array of roles including STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, if you're not familiar, STEM-related in the industry. This platform, uh, thank you and kudos to the Plain Talking team, and today has been a great step. I encourage all the women listening to connect with each other, building networks, and proactively championing the women around us is the path to change. Lastly, we asked her, what would you expect to say What would you say to women looking at getting into aviation or STEM, particularly in the area of aviation that you are interested or working in? Her response was that aviation is one of the most rewarding and exciting and dynamic industries in the current global situation shows us. But that's why it gets under your skin. Aviation has always been about being bold and being the pioneering spirit. The Wright brothers, Amelia Earhart, Spitfire pilots like my dad, The biggest tip is to have the confidence to follow your dreams. To do this, you need to be curious, courageous, and brave. My foundation was built on taking opportunities, or more importantly, making opportunities and learning from mistakes. Try lots of different things, go lateral, take chances. It's not about promotion. It's about growth and learning. If you focus on filling your backpack with skills, experience, and knowledge in the spirit of humanity, the promotion will look after itself. To grow your career, you'll need to make scary decisions. To resign, to be made redundant, to change direction. This takes courage. Be brave. 
That's awesome. I think that's really, really good. Um, her mantra is amazing. Um, her experience is really great. And I'm really excited that at least that we didn't get to have her, but we got her information to share with everybody. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, and there are some actual, there's some stats from the FAA um, on numbers in the U.S. And so uh, this is the numbers of men versus women actually in particular jobs in aviation. And so of all pilots, I think, I, I think this is how I'm interpreting the, the stats here, or um, of all pilots, there are the, the majority of pilots are actually student pilots. So we've got out of all pilots in the U.S., almost 14% are students, um, it, it, women students, women students. Um, and so uh, obviously it's, it's not surprising that the majority of aviation jobs for women um, are not pilots, unfortunately. Um, mostly it's going to be flight attendants at 79% in the industry, um, but obviously flight attendants are an incredibly vital component in commercial aviation um, and all positions are vitally important. Um, but of, of aviation stats, non-pilot women make up 30% um, of aviation. So there's a lot of really important things that women are doing in aviation, um, even if we're not at the front of the plane, which I think is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I was a little surprised um, to see that parachute riggers, uh, 10%. <laughs> we need to increase those numbers. I know. Well, that, I mean, you know, just thinking of who I've seen, I know quite a few um, FAA certified riggers for skydiving. And I don't know that I, 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 there are women, I know there are, but I don't know any of them personally. So that's yeah. interesting. Flight instructor, 7%. I need to find some of those 7% I, again, of women. I can, flight I, can, I can help you there. Yeah. Yes. We got you covered. So, yeah. Well, and actually there was another um, great thing that um, I think this was from Dr. Baird last week was saying that uh, the flight attendants at 79%, the female flight attendants are at 79%. And she was kind of commenting on how, you know, coming out of the COVID pandemic, everybody has um, the PPE that's necessary to safely mm -hmm. fly. Everybody has cleaning procedures. All the airlines have these very baseline things that will help keep us safe out of the COVID pandemic. Um, but what's going to make a big difference is that forward-facing communication with people. And so that forward-facing communication is made up mostly of women. We've got flight attendants, we've got, um, you know, uh, I guess all of the, all of the positions that 30% sure, of non-pilots, especially if you're talking about commercial side of aviation. Exactly, so exactly. your, your gate agents, your reservations, people, exactly. your, you know, that's going to make the, the big airport. difference, you know, for which airlines might be successful. I think, hmm. um, is that customer service component. So I like it. So next we're going to get to know one of our lovely ladies today, Steph Plummer. So Steph, we're getting to know you a little bit as we go, but we're going to dig deeper here. So you're That's managing good. your career as a doctor while also finding the time to fly regularly. How do you do that? Uh, so I like to tell people that I've managed to, my days have 36 hours. Um, I've expanded it from the usual 24. So that way I can cram more things all into a single day. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't. Sometimes it feels that way. You know, I think all of us have kind of had that experience, um, you know, being successful in our, our careers and everything else where you have a lot on your plate all at one time. And I kind of thrive on being busy in general. If I'm, if I'm not doing something, I feel like there's something I should be doing. So, um, that's just, that's just me. That's how I've always been. I think some of that has, um, 
part of the way we were talking about some of our backgrounds and growing up before, um, I was always involved heavily with athletics and swimming and doing a lot with school and different projects. So even from an early age, you know, I was at the pool at five o'clock in the morning, had to do that before school and after school, cram in a whole day of classes. And then I would work as a lifeguard afterwards and try to do my homework while I was lifeguarding. And then you go to bed, you know, you leave the pool at 10 PM and you're back at five o'clock in the morning. So, um, yeah, I've always just been kind of go, 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 go. So um, that's transitioned really well into my current life. Um, but yes, I do I know people who follow me on social media and, oh, that other uh, podcast, uh, <laughs> Pilot Guy, um, sometimes uh, wonder how I cram that all in or if I actually even have a day job. But I assure you that I do work full time. Um, I'm a physician. I do non-surgical uh, spine care. So um, if you ever have a cortisone injection for back pain or sciatica. I'm the person that you come to, to, to get those types of things. So, and yes, somehow I still managed to, what's that? You sure if you kept busy, do you sure that you also sleep though? (laughs) Yes. Sleep is also, uh, that's like my, the most prized time of those 36, no, just 24 hours. Um, yeah, if I, if I didn't sleep, I wouldn't function. And that's really, um, a big part of the balance, you know, it's, it's eating well, it's sleeping well, it's staying hydrated. It's making time for friends and the things that are fun and interesting in life. Cause otherwise it would just be a grind. So you're taking good care of yourself. And in addition to that, uh, 36 hour day that we were talking about your other podcast, uh, mm-hmm. tell us about how you ended up on APG. Yeah. So that was, um, I've told this story a few times on another, uh, actually just on that show, I think, but, um, one of my other passions, hobbies is, uh, we talked about exercise and swimming when I was younger. Now I've gotten into marathon running. So around the time I was, um, starting to train for my very first marathon that was back in 2013 was when I was working on my instrument rating. So I got my private pilot certificate and working on my instrument rating. I was in <laughs> fellowship for school at the time, um, and also training for a marathon, um, but I just wanted some uh, podcasting was becoming a lot more prominent at that time. And I was kind of getting into listening to all kinds of different things. And I was starting to do these very long runs that were like two hours or three hours. And you'd just be out. And I was like, I can't just listen to music this whole, I love music, but like, and I, I'm not one of those people that can run and do like, just be in my own head the whole time. So I need someone else talking to me and doing something. So um, I started looking up podcasts on topics that I had interest in. And I came across a couple different aviation podcasts and, um, Captain Jeff was doing this, uh, solo podcast at the time, airline pilot guy. And I started listening to that and, you know, there'd be questions occasionally that it's always been this kind of, this very community oriented podcast where people send in questions. And, um, a lot of the shows devoted to giving answers or looking up the answers for those, those questions. So, there were a couple of times where I sent in feedback either to answer other listeners questions about general aviation stuff or to ask questions of my own. Um, and after you do that a couple of times and you're like, Oh, Hey, they actually, you know, he took my, my feedback and he read it and, you know, actually I got a response on it. Um, I said, well, you know, I know with your flying career, you're in Charlotte occasionally, um, which is where I live. If we want to get together, I love my, um, India pale ales uh, beer is my <laughs> go-to drink of choice. And he's a big fan of that as well. I said, if you're ever in the area and want to know, uh, go to a local place for a, a brew, that would be awesome. And I was very surprised when I got an email back that said, yeah, sure. That sounds great. Um, I'm going to be in town this day. So uh, if you want to meet up and um, we actually had a couple of meetups where we just, uh, we definitely connected over our love of IPAs and uh, aviation, obviously, and found that it was very easy to chat and talk to each other. So um, 
at one of those meetups. He goes, you know, I'm actually was thinking about recording a show today. Um, do you want to be on the podcast as, as my co-host? And I said, no, are you, are you out of your mind? That sounds like a terrible idea. And then somehow I ended up saying yes to it. And um, it was the IPA. It was the IPA. Yeah. So definitely. I was like, well, yeah, I can swing by and get it. Okay. So, um, so yeah, and then it's been really just this amazing journey doing podcasting because it's opened up this whole world of aviation and things that I would have never experienced otherwise and getting to meet people that I would have never met otherwise. So, you know, this great group of, of women pilots here that we have today, um, all of the guys over at Plane Talking UK, definitely a huge international um, listening and following and being able to go places around the world and meet people that you have interacted with in some way and feel like you have a friend in every corner of the world. That's been really cool. Um, I've had that experience in Germany and as far away as Japan, just doing my own travels and other things. So um, it, it's been really amazing over the past couple of years to do that. One of the comments that you've gotten in the uh, chat session, uh, Richard says, am I the only one that's feeling tired just from listening to stuff? <laughs> no, you are not alone. Uh, <laughs> in between doing all this stuff how did you get into aviation like what point in your life what brought you to this and why so very different on my aspect or on my side of things in terms of how I got into aviation um, I was always very interested in science in general so my degree is in biology um, actually when I was a kid I thought I was going to be an on-camera meteorologist like I loved watching the weather channel I am <laughs> super nerdy and I'm not afraid to admit that <laughs> but um, I got into um, applying for majors in college and realized how much math went into that so in the stem side of things math is not my favorite um, in fact I really don't love it and I was that the amount of math that was required to get a degree in meteorology was going to kill my love of just knowing things about the weather. So I was like, you know, I like the biology side of things. I like, I like people, I like um, medicine. So I kind of started going down that road and discovered that that was going to be the right path for me. So I did that. Um, and it really wasn't until I was in residency. Um, so I was um, through medical school and I was in my second year of residency and um, one of my coworkers, her husband was a flight, uh, a flight instructor. So you're to stay on there. Uh, <laughs> time out. And um, I was doing some babysitting for them. I'll get back to that in a second. And, you know, because we were, we were helping each other out. So we were working long hours as residents. And um, like on the weekends, if, if my coworker was working and he had to be at the FBO, either flight instructing or just working the front desk there, I'd end up watching their kid. And then, sorry for the noise my computer is making in the background. He um, at one point was like, instead of us just, you know, paying you what we've been paying you to babysit for a few hours, if you want to come take an intro flight, that would be really amazing. And I said, well, yeah, that sounds like fun. And I had never even considered, I, I mean, I've always liked going places and travel and doing things, no stranger to flying on aircraft, but I'd never actually considered it as something I would do personally up until that point. And then we went on that first intro flight and I was like, oh, well, uh, this is, I'm in trouble now because I have to learn how to do this. So it's dangerous. It'll get you hooked. Oh, completely, completely. <laughs> Sorry. We, uh, we found out that you are also a very inspirational woman in the chat. We have a few people grabbing IPAs now. <laughs> yes, yes. I will turn people on to uh, my favorite style of beer. <laughs> All right. I see that you've also landed an opportunity to fly skydivers. What was that like? 
so very interesting flying. Um, so I've been involved in skydiving and jumping for um, since about, I'm trying to think now, 2014 or so. Um, I don't do a ton of jumping, but probably 20, 25 jumps or so a year um, on my free weekends, um, just enough to stay in it and stay current most of the time. Um, but just hanging around the skydiving center and the, the drop zone on a regular basis on the weekends, you, again, you just start to meet people, you form connections. They all knew that I was flying a lot. And that was really kind of my passion and my, my, in, how I was involved more in aviation. It was more about the flying than the, the jumping side of things. Um, so just connections there. And one of the pilots reached out last summer and said, Hey, you know, if you want um, to sit right seat for a while and, um, learn this side of the operation, um, come join us and do that. That's not a problem. We're, you know, it was in the middle of the pandemic and there wasn't a lot else going on on the weekends, but they were able to be open and still operating. So, um, yeah, starting in May, I just was out there every weekend and sitting right seat for a long time and then gradually moved over and got signed off on my first turbine aircraft and, uh, flew the Quest Kodiak and the, um, Cessna Caravan. So, that's been that's a lot incredible. of fun. And we're back to jumping this weekend. I'm very excited. Yay. So you say three weekends. I was wondering if that was actually. <laughs> last, last year was the first time in a very long time that I had a lot of free weekends. And then they became not free. It was basically like I was working two jobs, seven days a week. So um, as long I, as you're having fun. Oh yeah. Yeah. Completely. Completely. It doesn't, you know, that it doesn't feel like work at all. I've, I've also been told that skydivers are a different breed and you got to watch out because sometimes they'll initiate you by like stealing your key before they jump out and you got to just put it down <laughs> on the field. They didn't do anything like crazy like that to you, did they? Thankfully the turbine aircraft don't have keys. So, <laughs> yeah. Lucky. No one, no one like pulled the, you know, mixture back or anything on like that or, or pulled the fuel. Yeah. Or the no, best. No. <laughs> no. We have, we have a very safety minded and supportive group of, of jumpers too. So, and if, in fact, tomorrow, um, is their annual, the U.S. Um, Parachute Association sponsors a safety day. So safety day is tomorrow. And we're going to have a bunch of different um, talks on aircraft safety, gear safety, um, jumping with other people. So all, any aspect that you could possibly think of related to safety and skydiving operations, it, it'll be covered tomorrow. That's perfect. That sounds like a really great place that you're at to, to learn. Um, yeah, and I think that you, you also travel quite a bit for, uh, for work and for pleasure. Uh, what have your observations of women in aviation been during the course of that? So, you know, it's, it's kind of funny thinking back on it. Um, I, I think I heard you talk a little bit about this, Jody, where you didn't feel like growing up that anything that you were doing was kind of special or unique just for being a woman or a female or, um, and I've kind of felt that way in a lot of the different things that have happened in my life. So medicine's a little bit different. I draw a lot of parallels on our um, podcast over at APG sometimes between how medicine functions and how aviation functions. But medicine is very much, uh, at least in the United States, very 50-50 in terms of representation between men and women. And my medical school, um, our class was about 90 people and very widely represented different races, ethnicities, backgrounds. Um, equal men, women, but large LGBTQ community as well. So um, that I, I've never really picked up on that in other aspects of my life. I don't think because I've been so, everything's just been very open and free and I haven't run into a lot of barriers, fortunately. Um, you know, I've traveled to quite a few different places, um, not as many as some, but definitely South America, India, um, uh, Asia, um, 
definitely, I would say where I've run into the most barriers, um, this isn't aviation specific, but um, down in South America, we were in very a very rural part of um, of Ecuador and uh, working in medicine actually, and that was a little bit interesting. Not from the medicine side of things, but just we would we would have to walk to and from where we were staying to the hospital, and it was a very different environment in terms of how um, myself and my colleague were treated walking down the streets. There was a lot of like catcalling and things like that, which I'd never really experienced before. So it was interesting to see there. Yeah, it's always a, a very different insight when you get to, to experience another culture. So it's really cool that you got to do a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll give you one final question, then we'll we'll try our, our next interview again. Sure. Um, so with all those experience, where do you want to take your aviation journey next? It, so great question. Um, it's um, It's interesting because I didn't see myself getting into aviation until about 10 years ago. Uh, and in fact, actually this, this year, um, on my birthday will be the 10th anniversary of me getting my private pilot certificate. So oh, that's kind of a, cool. yeah, that's, I've been flying Congratulations. I can't believe, believe wow. that. Um, <laughs> very exciting. Um, uh, so yeah, we've had some, some women earlier who, uh, and actually some coming up that didn't get into flying until after they were 30. I was 29 on the dot when I got my <laughs> private pilot certificate. Um, so where is that going to take me? You know, I didn't know at the time and I didn't, I'm not sure I still know now everything I've kind of gotten into has just been because I've, um, just kind of followed opportunities when they've come about. So I've, um, yeah, initially I was very focused on working on ratings. Like I'm, I'm very much a student all the time. Like I, don't have any desire to go back to school and earn degrees or anything, but I like to learn things all the time. So anything, especially that can be, help me be a better, safer pilot. So I was like right into instrument training, right into, I was like, I'll get my commercial certificate just as a knowledge side of things. Um, and then just knowing that you could use that for opportunities going forward. If something came up, um, not knowing if I ever would or not, just, it was, it was interesting to me, um, did my multi-engine rating after that. And then, um, did my seaplane rating just because it was fun and I've not used it since then. So maybe <laughs> that'll take me, I'll come back to that at some point. I'm not sure, but I think um, just over this upcoming summer season, hopefully doing a lot of um, flying at the drop zone and flying jumpers and learning still, there's always more to learn. Right. Um, so I'll continue to learn that side of things and hopefully move on to bigger Better. That's, um, that's that's part of your really... doctor training, probably, right? <laughs> like doctors are forever students, oh, aren't forever they? Students, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I get a lot of grief for some of these conferences that I attend throughout the year because um, people think that I'm just using that as an excuse to travel. Which I, here, here's where here's the the tip if you want to um, you know really um, get the most out of your time combine things as much as possible yes. right so it's it's not really multitasking it's just being efficient so. traveling to attend a conference yeah so that would be that would be super fun to do that type of thing or, or medical mission type stuff you know I have I have a friend in Arizona who's um who's a physician as well and her um she and her father are, pi- are pilots and they have gone on flying medical missions into Mexico before. Um, so maybe getting involved in some of those, some of those types of things too. I think that'd be really interesting. I will have to say, um, you were talking about meeting Jeff at APG and I think it's very interesting that you met him over beers. And I think the very first time that I met him was at a brewery called pilot brewing (laughs) in Charlotte. (laughs) Yeah. So I I have that connection with him as well. (laughs) That's fine. Oh, and so we've gonna... got a question from the yeah. chat, Steph. Sure, um, sure. Miles High asked, do skydiving pilots 
wear a parachute as well? Good question. Um, so as it relates to the regulations here in the United States, I don't know if I can speak to around the world, but um, so flying smaller aircraft, yes, we do wear emergency um, rigs. So if you're flying something like a Cessna 182 or the 206, um, and basically this comes back to kind of, uh, there's some historical aspect to it a little bit from what I understand, but the concern is that um, if there's some, this is all safety related, right? So if there's some sort of malfunction with one of the jumper's gear and it gets wrapped around the tail of a smaller aircraft um, or something like that, you, you want a chance to be able to get out safely and make it back to the ground. Um, now, could that happen in a larger aircraft? Of course it could. Um, but for whatever reason, that doesn't, the, the same regulation is not there for wearing the bailout rig. Now, do you have seats for all of the pilots at your skydive operation? We have seats for all of the pilots. <laughs> yes. Good to know. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, referring, also. referring to, and actually, so different jump planes come in different configurations. Um, um, so I know Armando has talked about doing uh, jump operations, um, had a chance to fly his uh, Drop zones 182, but there is currently only one seat installed in it. So if you're going to do any training in that aircraft, um, even just local area familiarization, because it's on a small grass uh, airfield um, here locally, um, if you're the one observing, you're not sitting in a seat, just kind of on the floor the whole time, um, which is perfectly safe and legal. If you're going to open the door, you got to have your um, uh, you have to have a parachute, um, and you still use seat belts and everything else. All right. Yeah, that was a great interview, Jody. Thank you for all those questions. And Steph, we learned a Thanks lot so more much, about Steph. you. That, that, that was really awesome. And yes. uh, thanks for letting us get to know you better. We'll let you take it away and uh, introduce us to the next video, Dr. Steph. I would love to do that. So this is someone that I think listeners of both Plain Talking UK and also APG will know pretty well. Um, but we're going to shift gears a little bit. We're going to have some words from someone who's not a pilot. Um, and not everyone is enamored by careers as a pilot, flight attendant, or air traffic controller. And that's great because in aviation, um, we really need people who are involved in all aspects to keep things running and keep things flowing. So without the support of so many, um, what we're doing as pilots really wouldn't be possible. So Jennifer, or if you listen to our shows, you might know her as Jen Niffer, is one of those people. Uh, she works in the accounting department of an airport in the U.S. And as you'll hear, aviation really is a true passion of hers. So take it away, Jen. Hello, PTUK crew and listeners. It's Jen Niffer here. Thank you so much for inviting me to share my story as part of the special Women in Aviation episode. I currently work in the accounting department of a medium-sized airport in the Midwestern United States. I've always had a fascination with airplanes and the aviation industry, and I, I really can't pinpoint when that began. Um, however, I never considered working in aviation. Um, I, I didn't want to be a pilot or an air traffic controller or a flight attendant, so I just didn't think there was a place for me in the industry. But all that changed maybe eight years ago while I was working in the accounting department for McDonald's Corporation. I was on the internet and I came across their flight department. And I saw that as part of the flight team, they had an accountant. And suddenly I realized that I could work in aviation. 
So I started looking for accounting jobs within the industry and the rest is history. As far as diversity goes, um, where I work, women fill a lot of the administrative roles. Um, they're in accounting, IT, business development, communications, human resources. However, other uh, departments like airport operations and airfield maintenance are still mostly men. And I really think that if more girls and women knew about those roles and how really cool they are, uh, we'd see more diversity there. And hopefully shows like this will educate and empower more women to consider um, working in those particular fields. Uh, the bottom line is really, if I can work in aviation, then anybody can. Um, look at your skills, figure out where they fit in, and go for it. Uh, if you want to read more about my story and about my shenanigans at the airport, you can check out my blog. It's talesfromtheterminal.com. Thanks again for having me on the show. Bye. So great to hear from Jen Niffer. Um, speaking of people who have complex interests and backgrounds and, and things like that, she describes herself in her own words, airplane lover, stairs truck fanatic, airport employee, and margarita maven. I can and, get down with that. Yeah. And she's actually <laughs> yeah. got a really cool classic MG uh, car that sometimes I think makes appearances. Uh, what was the second thing she said? Stairs a truck stair? fanatic. What's that? So the stairs that you pull up, like that are on a truck that you could pull up to an aircraft. Oh. She, has a, she has a minor obsession with the stairs. I want to know about this obsession. I wish she had talked about it a little bit in I her video, know, actually. Is it, Jen, you need, to, you need to send us more video. My at some question point. is, is it the form or the function that's so uh, I, I, interesting? Both. And it, I mean, obviously. And why? I mean, I'm, I'm really interested to know. Also, her, uh, her video gives me hope. Because, um, yeah, even though I might be kind of terrified of learning how to fly or um, being in control of an aircraft, there are so many other things that I could do in aviation and still be supportive. And, um, I mean, is there, is there it, any it takes, role for a medical auditor? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, you know, you might Probably be surprised. There, there actually might be. You don't, um, I could do some sort of auditing because I am very familiar with government documents. Exactly. It depends on the operation, depends on the, the mission, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, Jen is, is wonderful. We're so glad that she's a part of our community. We're so glad that she's an aviation geek. And um, I always try and if I'm, uh, if I see an interesting stairs truck, I'll take a picture and send it to her on her <laughs> social media. To yes. Prove her collection. Yeah. But you can, awesome. uh, you can find her, follow her blog. She mentioned it. It's www.talesfromtheterminal.com. Um, we're going to read her disclaimer here too, because it's fantastic. Uh, there's a whole bunch about, she doesn't, you know, her views and opinions are her own. And it says, I have, however, been authorized to speak on behalf of Bigfoot. He wants you to know that he loves to fly but does have some concerns about the lack of headroom. So. <laughs> yes, that makes sense. <laughs> All right. Are... Yay. Well, yeah, she seems like a really interesting person. Margarita's random obsessions, my kind of person. Mm. <laughs> Yay. So I guess um, we'll get into some news. So headline, Cam Air flies first flight with all-female flight crew in Afghanistan. So... A flight in Afghanistan recently made history as Cam Air operated the first service with an all-female crew on board. Two female pilots accompanied by four cabin crew flew the 737 from Kabul to Herat. 
While airlines often like to make a media splash about their support for a woman for a woman in aviation, Cam Air was unable to celebrate this event with too much noise due to the heightened security in the country. Gatherings and celebrations are discouraged, so instead, Cam Air invited YouTuber Josh Cahill to experience the flight. So, do we have a video for this one or? A nice yeah, I think go. just we just the picture, and we're, it'll be uh, in the uh, it'll be in the uh, links in the YouTube yeah. page for the episode. Well, I think so. We should talk about this really quick because Jody, when we were having our pre-production meeting yesterday, um, you mentioned about something about how it's not really that unfamiliar to have um, a flight like all female flight because you've experienced this. Can you tell us a little bit more about your experience? being with an all-female crew and how it may be, maybe it depends on where you are, but because this seemed very rare in Afghanistan, but for you, I understand it's pretty, um, free, this happens pretty frequently. Yeah, when I was flying the Q400, I flew with a great deal of female pilots in that company, but when I moved up to the 737, it became more rare because we have a bigger aircraft, a bigger flight crew, so we had a four cabin crew as well as the two pilots up front, and one day, I mean, it's starting to become common enough to see women in aviation that we actually completely inadvertently had an all-female crew scheduled in our run from Abbotsford. So we, we took the opportunity to do a photo op because it was still rare enough that it was special to us. But the cool thing is that it's becoming common enough that we don't have to stage this. This is just we're out there and it's happening. And um, and I was fortunate enough to to run into a sort of similar situation where... Um, I had an all-female formation flight down in California a couple months back, and it was just a, a really awesome group of women that just happened to be together. So definitely with different cultures, I think you experience a different amount of that depending on where you are in the world and, and how common this is. And I'm, I'm happy to say that in at least Canada and the U.S., we're getting to the point where we are common enough that these things just sort of fall into place. And that was a really cool moment for us. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, I hope we get to the point where it's just like people wouldn't even raise like an eyebrow if you walked on the plane and it was all chicks. I think that will be, a, that's a good goal to have. It's just like, oh, it's normal. Why doesn't this yeah. happen more often? And I was thinking about it, you know, for all of the travel that I've done. So I've flown, um, you know, I'm not a commercial air pilot, airline pilot, but I've flown on a lot of commercial aircraft it is so rare that I actually see a female. I, I would say actually it's probably more common now in the regionals. And the only time that's ever happened to me where there's been an all female flight crew was just one time, just a, a regional flight from Chicago up to green Bay. And it was kind of a last minute thing because I guess they had a flight crew swap and, um, one of the reserve captains was pulled in. So um, she showed up and she just uh, made a PA. She's like, Hey, I just got here. I'm flying this flight. So yeah, I forget their names exactly, but um it was all females and it was a female jump seater up front as well. So that was, that was really cool. Appreciated their That's getting awesome. us safely to green Bay. Cool. All right. And for all the uh, military aviation fans, we haven't forgotten about you. Uh, the next piece comes from Mindy Hickson. Sorry, Mandy Hickson. Mandy trained on the Firefly, Tucano and Hawk and was the second woman to ever fly a tornado G4 on the front line, completing three tours of duty and 45 missions over Iraq. Mandy is now a keynote speaker and using her own experiences to inspire others in a range of topics, 
including human factors, decision-making, communications, and leadership. So we'll take it away with the video of Mandy. Hi, my name is Mandy Hickson. I am a former Royal Air Force Tornado GR4 pilot. I served for 17 years in the regulars and then did eight years as a volunteer reservist flying air cadets. I first got into flying when I was 14, when I joined the air cadets myself, and I fell in love with it as a future career. There weren't many role models around in those days, though, because women weren't allowed to be pilots in a fast jet or certainly on a frontline capacity. But they changed the rules when I was at university and... Then I had the likes of Jo Salter, who was the very first female fast jet pilot in the Royal Air Force. And so we could follow in her shoes, which was fantastic. Um, basically, I still am quite shocked by how few women we see going into, air fo into aviation as a whole and as an industry. And I know that so many of the different airlines out there have had huge campaigns to try to improve the numbers of women that are flying. Uh, and I hope that we will continue to see that. I know that the Air Force has worked really hard uh, to make every single role available for women, and they were the first of all the services to do that. And we do see more women now on the front line of flying as well, which is fantastic, but there's still a long way to go. And I think all we need to do is continue to share our incredible stories, act as role models for the next generation, and to really encourage as many as we can to think of this as a career, because. For me, it has been one of the most fulfilling careers I could ever imagine and dream to have had. And I just think, you know, we need people to talk about it to the fact that actually I have managed to balance my work and having children as well. And, you know, I've really loved aviation and it, you know, just can't offer any more to me than I've actually taken from it. So all the very best for International Women's Day and let's continue to spread the word. All right, so Mandy is one really amazing woman who's done a lot of incredible things. If you want to check out her video, or uh, sorry, her book, we'll include a link to her book, An Officer, Not a Gentleman, below. And we also have hicksonltd.com if you'd like to find her online. Yep, very cool. Um, interesting, the, I'm glad, so glad that we got some of the military um, perspective there, because I think that's, you know, we talk about women being underrepresented in aviation. I think that's even more underrepresented. So again, um, for, uh, I'm hoping that there are plenty of young girls watching this, young women out there who are thinking about careers. And it's a common question. And we, we get this question all the time um, about people looking to get into aviation and they don't know which route to go. But military is a wonderful way to, to do that. And, and it's very valid. So, you know, I actually, when I was reaching out to um, some of the representatives from Sisters of the Skies, the Black Female Pilot mm -hmm. Organization, um, I had asked them, you know, since their organization focuses on, um, women that are already pilots uh, that are included as members, I was asking, well, what's the best way to become a pilot, uh, you know, considering potential financial barriers or um, just having that ability to see the opportunity. And um, they actually said the military is a great way to start. And I hadn't even thought of that, despite the fact that, mm -hmm. you know, my husband had a, a military career as well. And um, that's a really great way to get in and then also develop so many other life skills in the meantime. Um, and she also, uh, Mandy had, uh, was a pilot and was raising the family at the same time. Um, she 
was the first, uh, sorry, RAF was the first of all the services, services to offer every position available to both male and female um, service members. So I think that's incredible that she was able to have those opportunities, mm-hmm. um, kind of right place at the right time for her, which is really cool. I agree. So, all right. So we're going to, it looks like we've got Kathy back on the line here. So we're going to um, go ahead and introduce her and go from there. Kathy, are you with us? Oh, maybe we can see her. We can we see her, but we can't hear her. <laughs> Again, this is the trials and tribulations of. Okay. Yeah. So what we're, what we're going to do, we're going to, I have to get to Kathy's information here. I'm not sure where the producer moved. So Kathy actually was, was joining us because she has recently written a really wonderful book, um, Australian women pilots. And this book focuses on, uh, I believe 10 women, uh, from each decade, uh, since the 30s. And so um, she uh, wrote this book. Uh, we were going to try to find out a little bit about why and, and how and all of the reasons, but um, we've been having some technical difficulties with with having her on and um, keeping her connection with us. So um, we are, I believe, going to try to get a recorded interview with her at some point and air that out at a later date. Um, so you can go to Amazon and find her book though. In the meantime, she's Kathy Mexted. The book is Australian women pilots. There it is. Very good. Yeah. Shame. We couldn't keep that connection uh, with us because she's super interesting pilot in her own right too. So, um, would have been nice to get that perspective, but we will definitely try to include that later on. And, and she's also at Kathy Mexted.com, uh, Sorry, kathymexted.au. She is Australian. .com. .au. <laughs> One more time. Just so oh my Kathymexted.com.au. <laughs> there we go. Got it. Well, I'm more for the blooper reel. Yay. First timer. <laughs> live, live media here. So, right. Yeah, let's keep moving on. So we've got, um, we're going to get to know our hosts a little bit more here. And I think this time we've got Ariel uh, interviewing Megan. Yay! I'm really excited about this. I'm so I first of all, I just like looking at your face. I'm just like, oh, I keep <laughs> oh that's like, very sweet. Thank you. <laughs> of course, though no, you're so gorgeous and you have such a good spirit around you. And so I'm just like, oh, I can't wait to how we get to meet in person. Which yes. will I bet happen mm-hmm. hopefully soon at like Oshkosh or Reno. But yes. um, so first tell so I know your background isn't in, in aviation. Can you tell me and the listeners, what is your background? Um, just, just, <laughs> just what, yeah, just tell me a little bit about you. Well, um, yeah, my background has absolutely nothing to do with aviation. Um, it was only when I met my lovely husband that I was introduced to aviation. Um, my dad was in the military, but he was in the Navy. He had nothing to do with aviation. Um, Armando was in the military when I met him, actually, and um, we traveled kind of all over the country on these uh, distant dates when we were starting to get to know each other, which was very cool. Um, and actually, when I met him, he had a very cool little airplane, which um, was actually my first time flying a non-commercial flight. Uh, he had this, well, it's here somewhere. I don't know where it is now. Uh, he's got a model of it back here. Um, he had a Lancer 
360. And if you don't know what that looks like, he called it a sucrete box with wings. Um, so basically like a, a, just the tiniest thing. And so that was my first introduction into um, flying, not on a commercial flight. And it was terrifying and wonderful. And like I said, I trust my husband implicitly. He's just a really smart guy. Um, he is totally capable and super safe. Um, and so my, my background has nothing to do with aviation, but my introduction to aviation has been amazing. Um, and so because he knows so much about aviation and his experience is so kind of well-rounded, um, it's given me an opportunity to see a lot of things that I, I just wouldn't have had any clue about. So um, I'm, I'm getting interested. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. I wonder if his, his plan to take you flying and all that was intentional. He's like, I'm sure. so she's yeah. scared. Those endorphins are going way up. And she's definitely going to want to squeeze me. So <laughs> there are yeah, ulterior yeah. motives. Perhaps. Yeah. Your, your husband is a smart man. And it worked. Yeah. And I it, got a it little worked. kiddo out of it. For so sure. <laughs> um, can you tell me a little bit about your experiences at the Reno Air Races and what that was like? Oh my goodness. Yes. Uh, so the Reno Air Races, again, terrifying. This, is, <laughs> this seems to be my word um, as it relates to aviation terrifying. Um, so I was just super impressed um, with all of the aerobatics and the shows and everything. I mean, it's insane um, going in and watching the the Reno air races. Uh, I had no idea that people raced airplanes like they race cars. Like that to me was just a completely foreign concept. And I was like, this is a death trap. <laughs> this is just the worst thing I've ever seen, but it was incredibly exhilarating. Um, and we actually had a really cool opportunity. Um, one of Armando's friends, um, because he flew a, uh, a Lance Air and the, I guess the community for Lance Air pilots is very small. It's an experimental airplane. Um, he got to know a lot of people in the country that also flew Lance Airs. And then also a lot of these people happened to race them um, because they are very fast airplanes. And so we knew one of the pilots who was racing at Reno and we were able to kind of get in. And he was actually here um, on the PTUK podcast at some point last year. I don't remember what episode that was. Um, George, the cigar, I'm sure folks will remember him. Um, he's a very cool guy. And so we got to kind of be part of the crew. And uh, so I was just kind of like pushing airplanes around and getting people waters and like <laughs> uh, doing what I could to help the pilots. It was really cool. It's really cool that that Reno, I was there, I've been there a couple of times and just being in the drop zone and you sort of feel like you're around like I mean, a bunch of celebrities because you're like, oh, there's yeah. that pilot. There's that pilot. You're like, <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. I want to go and like have a beer with them. It's yeah. so exciting. <laughs> it was so very much, cool. It was very it's, chill though, weirdly. Like this is such an exhilarating thing and people are are um, doing really crazy things in the air. But I, I don't know, maybe that's why the pilots and the crews were just so chill. Everybody was very cool, calm and collected. And like, this is a yeah. job and we're going to do it. We're very focused. Um, but then afterward, everybody had fun, which was good. Yeah. It is. It's just a, it's a crazy experience. I hope people that are watching this, if you get a chance to go to the Reno air races, definitely do it. And then, or you can watch previous years. Yeah. Like you can watch it. CBS records it, I think. And and you can watch it at any point. Yeah. Oh, that will be really cool. What about, um, what about Oshkosh? What's your experience there with diversity and Amanda, I believe it's Amanda Simpson interview. I love Amanda what? Simpson. Yes. Um, so we actually got to go um, to Oshkosh two years ago now. 
and um, Armando was there kind of doing some interviews for PTUK, um, and we were able to meet some really incredible women. Um, Amanda Simpson, I think was, I don't know if this is correct, I think she's the first out transgender executive at an airline company. Um, and she was just incredibly inspiring and uh, very intimidating. We walked in to interview her and she had a um, kind of like a security person with her to make sure that we were asking the questions that were appropriate. And I was just awestruck. I was awestruck about um, her just composure and her abilities to um, just kind of cut through the noise and get the job done. And um, she was super inspiring. And then I saw uh, some other women. Um, there's like the whole women venture is part of uh, Oshkosh. And so that was really cool to have like a separate dedicated focus on women in aviation. And it, it really, really inspired me and, and kind of um, challenged me to, uh, I don't know, get a little more exposure to get a little bit more uh, I don't ballsy, I guess. Is that the right thing to say when we're talking about women in aviation? Probably not. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I think you could say it. Yeah. Yeah. It is a little nerve wracking when you're interviewing people though, because you want to show them that amount of respect, but you never know if you're going to offend someone or how, like what's the verbiage or the jargon. And so um, I want to watch that interview. She's so good. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm sure we could probably figure out which episode she was on. Um, but uh, she's definitely been here, uh, at least two years ago, I think. Um, we'll let you know if we can't get it live. We'll, we'll let you know, uh, in the YouTube notes there. So on the YouTubes. Perfect. (laughs) So what on the YouTubes? Well, your little daughter, what, um, what has that experience been like with her, um, flying? You mentioned earlier that you guys took her out for the first time. Are you, um, and that you trust your husband with your life. And now I, I guess you trust him with hers. Um, so how, what's your dream for her? Do you want her to get into aviation? Are you afraid for her? Um, maybe she'll inspire you. Like what's oh, your yeah. dream for your daughter? Oh, I like that. Maybe she'll inspire me. I, she already, geez, she inspires me every day. She's amazing. She's an amazing, tiny little human um, going on like an 80 year old woman. She's like, she amazes me constantly. Um, honestly, I would love to be like, yes, I want her to be a female aviator, but honestly, I want her to do whatever makes her happy and whatever she's passionate about. Um, and Armando and I will absolutely support her in whatever endeavor that ends up being. Um, she is an incredibly smart girl and picks up everything like instantly. And so, uh, I know her curiosity is endless. Um, and I know Armando takes advantage of that by teaching her things about aviation (laughs) and kind of planting those seeds. And I'm totally fine with that. Um, yeah, I, 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 I I am curious. I have a quick question to jump in here. Um, so it's always interesting to me to, um, cause I can remember what my siblings said that they wanted to be when they excuse me, when they grew up with, when they were that age, has she expressed any interest yes. in particular? And where yes. is she interested Very in specific. Okay. She wants to be a dentist. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so unfortunately it's not a pilot or any kind of aviation, Maybe anything. Healthcare professionals. She wants to be a dentist. Yeah. Okay. She has no dentists in her family, um, but she, she wants to be a dentist. Teeth. She loves going to the dentist. She is a weird kid. She loves going to the doctor. She loves going to the dentist. Like since she was tiny and all she went for was shots. Like she doesn't, she loves it. That's so, that's random. What's that? 
Jody, do they give her candy on the way out, or like, how did I she mean, come to that? Yes, but not always. Sometimes it's a sticker. I mean, kids are so easily motivated. <laughs> Our dentist always gave us an apple, and we're just like, what? Other kids get lollipops and all this stuff, and he would give us like an apple <laughs> and a. Super breath. irresponsible for the dentist to give you a oh, candy after yeah. they've cleaned uh, it. I, I, or maybe yeah. that's how they get the business to come back in. They're like, uh, you know. No, my child worry. gets toothbrushes when she leaves the dentist. Oh. And then she is like so in love with them. And she's so excited. She will throw away the old one. And yeah, anyway. <laughs> well, well, maybe she'll be a, maybe her and Armando and you could get a business going together. And she could be a flying dentist to like little Ooh. villages where where they don't, where you have to fly in the dentist and stuff. So merging all things. I love it. You know what, Ariel, when that happens, we're going to be consulting you to figure out how to make that work. Well, I'll be your first patient because I've knocked these okay, teeth out seven times. And so she could, <laughs> oh my God. She could work on me. Yeah. So that'll be fun. Oh, she's Wait, already worked on a patient. I probably shouldn't say that, uh, but she, our dentist is lovely. And our dentist was like, uh, she's just was so in love with the fact that our child wants to be a dentist. She was like, Oh, bring her in. She can, she can go and clean people's teeth. And we thought that they were just going to like play around with tools. No, they put her in the mouth of a patient with the water and the suction. And she was like, Oh wow. Yeah. Total stranger. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I, I, I'm so horrible at things because I never usually stick to the script. And I was like, That's I right. want to talk about your love life and um, like all this stuff. But then there's one last question that they wanted me to ask. And so what are the challenges of being a military slash airline partner? Let's get, let's talk about that. Well, that encompasses the love life, right? Um, so I guess <laughs> some of the challenges are just, um, the, the schedules and, and the kind of unexpected changes to, uh, to the schedule, because I, as a mother schedule is so important. Um, routine is so important. And if, if I am, you know, expecting that I'm going to have help <laughs> on a certain day, um, and then I don't have it, you know, that kind of throws things off and we need to readjust. And so that's probably the hardest part. Um, of of being a partner of someone who is constantly kind of at the whim of someone else. Um, but thankfully, um, that's kind of less and less of our life lately. Um, his schedule has become a little bit more flexible. And so we get a lot of family time, which is really wonderful. And so then we get to experience flying together. And um, honestly, the thing that we do when we're all together and we have nothing to do, which is rare, um, but when we do get a chance to just hang out, we'll go to, uh, the drop zone, which yes. is the little grass strip <laughs> that Steph was mentioning, um, where he is a skydive pilot occasionally on the weekends. Um, so we'll just go and hang out and watch airplanes fly and watch people fall out of the sky. <laughs> that's um, awesome. It's really cool. Like that's our place to hang out is, is aviation related things. Cause it's just very, it's it very, feels like family. But... It's very family oriented and it does feel like family. Yeah. It's really nice. That's... That's really cool. Well, I, yeah, yeah. Well, I hope we get to see each other in person. I can't wait to have some drinks and learn more about you because you seem like you have a really fascinating and interesting life and I can't wait to give you a hug in person. Oh, I can't wait to give you a hug in person too. That sounds lovely. <laughs> yeah, okay. um, all right. Fantastic. Well, Stacey, I, like, I love learning about all of you ladies. This has been really wonderful. I'm so glad we had a chance to do all of that. And speaking of learning about other wonderful women in aviation, I think, fingers crossed, we have Kathy Mexa with us finally on the line. <laughs> yes. Try to hear Kathy. Hey, uh -oh. Kathy. You're mute. I think you just have to unmute this time or try that. Nope, still can't hear you. 
Uh, try one more time there to unmute. <gasps> How's see. that? Yes, you there now? you are. Welcome, Kathy. <laughs> All the way from Australia. Well, wonderful. Good to see you. How are you doing Thank today? You. Yeah, good. It's pretty early here. I was awake at five o'clock thinking I have to get up. Yeah. Yes. And then the, the technical well. gremlins, the, the joy of live media. So um, we've talked a little bit about who you are and what you do already because we weren't sure if we were going to get this connection back on and running. But um, for those who don't know, I know you've been on the show before here and, and I'm not sure when the last time was that you were on the show, but um, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, your background in aviation, you know, the, the, the quick synopsis? Uh, sure. Um, I think I was on last time when we were living in the UK for a couple of months. So um, that was probably about four years ago. 171, I hear, is, was the episode number. So if you want to go back and, yeah. and watch that. Um, so we live in Victoria, just out of Melbourne, on 100 acres. You can probably see out the window. Um, we've got a strip and a little little strip and a hangar and a um, a Pitts S1 and a uh, 180 that's in pieces that hopefully will be going soon. <laughs> so um, between our between our two guests right now, our two hosts, we've got a Pitts S1 in in some pieces, and then a Pitts S1 that's flyable and a 182 in some choosing. pieces. It's like yeah, yeah Jody's got hers right there, right behind her there. There we go. <laughs> that's amazing. So um, I don't fly the S1 that belongs to my son and my husband, but um, we did have a Piper Cup. We just swapped the Piper Cup for uh, the the 180 so when that gets going I guess maybe I'll get in it and have a go ah, <laughs> we, but the last plane I flew was a, a Piper Cub so love that's the an American favorite yeah it is and I've actually just started to get a little bit of time in that last year before I got into doing all the, the skydive flying so speaking of where I'll go mm. in aviation hopefully circling back to doing some of that uh just basics flying you know it's stick and rudder stuff and it's slow and you're you can have your foot hanging out in the breeze and it's, it's wonderful. So I'm, I'm envious that you get to do that for so long. So, um, so you've written a book recently called Australian women pilots. We talked about it a little bit. Um, we know it's about uh, 10 Australian women kind of going back through the decades. What prompted you to start writing this book and, and how did you do all the research for these amazing pilots? So um, I actually started writing a book on pilots wives because I am one, because my husband's a airline pilot. And um, then it just kind of morphed across into women pilots. And so I decided to talk about women through the decades. So rather than just try and pick 10 people who are still around or 10 people in history, which is a lot of work, um, I figured that I'd start with Nancy Bird, who was in the 1930s flying the um, clinic sister around the outback. She used to go and administer to... The children. She was a children's health nurse. Oh. And, yeah. And then from Nancy, in the 40s, I found an Australian lady who flew in England during World War II with the Air Transport Auxiliary. So I was pretty excited to find that story. Mm. And then um, it really kicked off when I was at a conference, the Australian Women Pilots Conference in 2016. And I heard a lady who was 88, she got up and spoke about flying in New Guinea in 1952 and 53 and the story was so gripping I just thought I have to tell that story you know when someone when you learn something and you think I just have to share that so as a writer that was bold to hear that woman speaking um and yeah so I asked her if I could interview her and she was quite excited to be in the book and um 
Unfortunately, she passed away two weeks later, but her family gave me her notes because she'd written a book, like a little book. It was about 30 pages. And so that was fabulous to be able to refer to that. Um, I found people in New Guinea who, in the 80s, there was a woman in through the Women Pilots Association. I found a lady who knew that woman and who had flown up there out of the same airport in the 80s. And so she was a great help in the end. Um, Troy, old newspapers, you know, the usual. Yeah, all the, all the different uh, research avenues, I suppose. How long did it actually take you to write the book? I started in, um, after that conference, I started in 2016 and I finished at the end of 2019. So it was three years. Um, and then it took a year to find a publisher and get the contract signed. And then that was Christmas. And then the book came out last November. So it was five years from when I first picked up the pen to when it was published. Definitely a bit of a labor of love there. A lot of time and and research. And that's amazing with the story of the 88-year-old pilot who you interviewed and then passed away two weeks later. That's, uh, you know, fortuitous timing. And and that's wonderful that her family was able to share all those notes with you too. Um, So it's been out for, the book's been out for a little while now. What's the response been like? Have you had good, good response, good feedback? Uh, it's been amazing uh, because I didn't know if I'd be able to get a publisher. I don't know if any of you guys have ever written a book, but no, um, you can tell us a little bit about that experience as well. We'd be interested to know. <laughs> the challenges in finding a publisher and actually getting to the publisher, getting getting your manuscript down the line and into their email and onto their desk, past the assistant. Um, but I went to a, um, a meeting in Sydney and this woman, this publisher, got up to speak and she said that their best-selling book the previous year was Dr. Space Junk versus the Universe mm-hmm. and it was an Australian woman who is a space archaeologist and she just – and it turns out we grew up about 20 miles from each other in a country mm-hmm. as big as Australia – that girl lives. <laughs> it's a, it's a small world sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> a that space archaeologist. I know. That's I what know. my daughter could be. There you go. We'll <laughs> yeah, well, her. she was an archaeologist, an archaeologist first, and she said she was in outback Queensland and she just was watching satellites go across in that beautiful big open sky and she thought, I bet yeah. there's junk up there, like there'll be stuff up there. Mm-hmm. So the publisher said, you know, um, just because you get published in Australia also, don't think that you'll get published internationally. And she said we only had a handful of books published in the US last year, which for us in Australia, you know, we only we have such a limited audience. So to get it published in the US or, you know, even the UK, wherever, is um, it, it just broadens it out so much. Um, and she said, you know, our last one was on space. And so if anyone's got a space book in them and she didn't expect the response. And I guess I looked like a middle-aged housewife sitting in the front row. And I just said, I'm writing a book on aviation. Should I slide a space story across into it? And she went, oh, um, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. <laughs> so <laughs> we did talk and I didn't put it, I didn't have to put a space story in. Um, I just kept going with fixed wing pilots. Gotcha. And so that was how I got the contract. Face to face, nothing like it, networking. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Got to make, make use of those uh, opportunities when they arise. Absolutely. So. I, I have a question for you because um, my husband is a pilot um, and I am kind of sort of getting a feel for aviation. I'm not a pilot myself. Um, I think he's slowly trying to introduce me into that role. <laughs> um, uh. so, 
my question is, were you a writer uh, beforehand? Is that your background? And then how did you get into aviation in general? I know your husband is a commercial pilot, um, yeah. but, but what is your history in aviation? So I grew up in a small town of about 2,000 people and my father had an aeroplane. He had, he had a, um, an archer and he and five other guys put in to afford this plane and it was the only plane in town. And so one day I was with him when I was 16. It's actually in the front of the book in the introduction where he was, um, we were just flying along and I, he put his hands on his knees and he was looking out the window. So I said to him, how come it's, how do you know what's happening? How come the plane's still flying? <laughs> and he said, oh, it's in trim and it's a fine day and it just flies itself. And he was a bit flippant. And I thought perhaps I should know a bit more about it. So um, he let me have a go. And I did a bit of this and um, uh, he said, if you want to, he said, you seem to be enjoying that. If you want to get your license, I'll pay for it. But I was only 16 and I thought I was too young to, uh, you know, I was only just learning to drive and all that other stuff that goes on at 16. And so I I put it off and um, I, I went off and became a secretary and then I did nursing and then I did a backpack around the world. Um, and I was in Alaska and I'd been on a helicopter flight and I was telling these Alaskan pilots, oh, when I get home from my 12, two-year backpacking adventure, I'm going to go and learn to fly. And one of them looked at me across the bar and said, I bet you don't. And so when I came home to mum and dad, um, I went, to, went and got my licence because we had a fantastic flying school and a fantastic old World War II aerodrome that the Americans had built us during the war which is still there. So um, that was how I got into flying. And so my husband was from the same small town. His father was the local ag pilot, the crop duster. And um, we kind of got together when I was learning to fly. That's very cool. And uh, I love those kinds of challenges. Like, no, that's not, you know, you know, you won't. <laughs> that just gives Bet me more motivation don't. to go ahead and prove them wrong. Exactly. So you learned to fly in 91. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So uh, because we are doing an international women's show and we want to talk all about women and women's experiences in aviation, um, what would you say has changed in regards to women learning to fly in Australia um, or wherever else you've had flying experiences? Um, well, one thing that's happened here is they've set up aviation degrees. And so rather than just going and paying your money to a flying school and getting your license, now everybody seems to trundle off to an aviation college and they pay lots of money to do these aviation degrees, which sets them up if they want to go into management or it gives them a much more rounded um, experience and knowledge, I suppose. But I think by going to college, there's, there seems to be a lot more women in aviation now and by being at the college, they, they can network a lot better. Whereas when I was learning, I was just in a small town and there was just a handful of women flying at, at that time. Um, and the, the percentage of women at that time was about 1% in Australia were pilots and 1% of pilots were women. And now it's up to around 5 or 6%. Yeah, so it's slightly getting better. Qantas just recently announced um, the gender parity. They're trying to raise the level of women pilots and the Air Force, Australian Air Force has done the same thing. So That's they're actively wonderful. encouraging women into the occupation. That's wonderful. Actually, my, okay. my husband's just, 
my husband's in Hong Kong at the moment. He's just left yesterday and he'll be back in the morning. And he said, oh, I've got a female second officer. And I said, oh, give her a book. I couldn't find one of the books. They're all down in the in the car because I've just been to do it. And I said, give her a tea towel because when I finished, when the book went to the publisher, um, I got really creative and it was like handing over the baby, you know, I, I I didn't know what to do with my hands. It was really empty hands. And so I started drawing handbags, one for each of the 10 women in the book. So um, like a tote bag specially themed for that person's story. And then I ran out of women in the book. And so then I started doing tea towels. And I felt really silly giving him a tea towel. And it has a, a cartoon of a girl flying that I drew. And it has a bag and it says girls fly too on the bag. Oh, I love it. Um, yeah, that was a hashtag. And I said, give her the tea towel. And I wrote on it, um, tell her it's for her husband. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we need support from the men too, though, for sure. Oh, well, of course, and yeah. So you've highlighted 10 women in your book. I'm sure there are many more. Um, but at the very <laughs> least, someone can pick up your book and uh, kind of learn a little bit about the history of women pilots in Australia and kind of get that knowledge started and and learn a little bit more so that they can do a little bit more, right? Yes. Um, yeah, I felt it was important to show a difference in opportunities, um, what was happening in aviation, you know, at different times, and um, a spread of geography. So um, it's not necessarily the history of aviation. It's just 10 women's stories, and, and they had to be good stories. So um, I became a writer when I was 45. I skipped that whole middle section of my life didn't I I got sidetracked when I had a a one three and ten year old kids and um I just felt it was time to do something for myself and what I found when I started writing doing magazine articles was that I really loved telling stories and people's stories and so um because each story is about a one hour read you know it's just a nice bite size they had to be engaging, and I know what men are like because I've got them around me, you know, <laughs> professional pilots. <laughs> they don't you, want to You've generated read. some laughter from the, uh, the control room there for <laughs> our, our obligatory men here on the show today. So. The guy, people don't want to read about, you know, um, somebody because they're just the first person to do it. I, I, maybe, but for me it had to be an engaging story, and so... Um, uh, I chose uh, a girl who flew on a cattle station out in the Northern Territory. And so through that, I was able to explain what it's like when you're flying on a cattle station and how you do, she had to go off and do low-level low level training and um, gave a really good description of the, the steps that that involves. Um, the girl on the cover is an ag pilot. So we went through how she got into the industry, what training she had to do, um, what her job looked like, you know, while she was working from the truck to get into the aeroplane. There was a woman who just had an adventure, which was um, she flew the dawn to dusk, which is an English flying challenge. You're all going to sign up for this next year now, I hope. Um, It's set by Prince Philip and you have to set your own challenge and execute that challenge between the hours of dawn to dusk. And you've got Hmm. eight, um, it has to be done in daylight and it has to be airborne for at least eight hours. And this woman learnt to fly at 50. She had five kids and she was married to a bishop and she learnt to fly at 50 and she won this thing three times. So she'd trek off to England to the Royal Air Force Club and receive her 
price. Um, possibly the most adventurous one is a lady who was flying an aeroplane from the US into Australia. She was ferrying the aeroplane in for a new owner and she had to shut down one engine. They had fuel problems and she had to ditch it in the Pacific, 500 miles off the coast of Hawaii. So, yeah, there's some pretty dramatic stories in there from different, as you can see, you know, different experiences. And aside from all of those, uh, so the stories themselves sound amazing and compelling and those, I, I think you're right there, people want to read the human interest side of things. Are there any big yeah. takeaway points um, for, for readers from the book or is it, is it more just the interest, the individual collection of stories? One of the stories is on Deborah Laurie, who was the Australian, first Australian woman to fly for a major airline in Australia. And um, even though the Americans had already, were already employing women as airline pilots, in Australia we only had two airlines, uh, domestic airlines, and one of them was government-owned and the other one was owned just by one guy. And he said, I will never put a woman in the cockpit of my aeroplane. So she had a very determined opponent and she had to take him to court and it went to the High Court of Australia and she won. And I think that story really highlights the struggle that, you know, the struggle is real. Right. <laughs> and for her it was extremely real and expensive. But she got there and she still was flying until coronavirus grounded everybody last wow. year. That's amazing. So, so yeah. if folks want to find your book, what's the best way to, to do that? So internationally, you can just download it from Amazon or wherever you download the books from. Um, you can buy hard copies internationally through your local bookstore, can order it in, or you can email me at 10pilots at gmail.com and I will post you one, a signed one. Oh, wow, <laughs> like very that. cool. Yeah, and there'll be a link in the description uh, in the video here. Oh, there already is for, for those of you watching on YouTube. So. This is my working copy, right? <laughs> um, oh, wow. See all, all the notes. All the notes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, that's wonderful. Yeah. I'm glad we were able to fix the uh, technical audio issues and whatnot and get you here with us because it's great to hear from you in person. It wouldn't have done it justice otherwise. So, yeah. Thank you, uh, Dr. Smith. Oh, you're welcome. So we're going to move on. We've got um, a couple more things to do before we wrap up here. I know this has been um, a little on the longer side for shows, but it's been so wonderful to be able to highlight all of these different women and all of their different backgrounds. And I believe it is uh, Meg, uh, you are introducing our next yes. video here. I am very excited to introduce this next video. Um, and this next video actually has a link to Kathy Mexted. Um, so we actually have Dorothy Saul Pooley, um, who really is an incredible woman by all accounts. Her career started in law and specifically aviation law, uh, which allowed her to fund her flying. But as you'll hear, that led her down a very interesting career path to become a flight instructor for fixed wing and helicopters, a senior examiner for the CAA and a master of the honorable company of air pilots. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about her connection with Kathy Mexted, but let's hear her first. My name is Dorothy Sorpooley and I, I learned to fly about 30 plus years ago and became a flying instructor. I never had an aspiration for the airlines. I always wanted to teach. So I got my PPL whilst I was working as a lawyer. In fact, that's probably 
how I could afford to get my PPL because otherwise, if I hadn't been a lawyer, I wouldn't have had the money. I wanted to fly before that, but it wasn't really feasible because of the cost. Even at university, when I went to university to study law, there was a university air squadron, but girls weren't eligible. And you've probably heard that story before about going along to university air squadron and being told, no, you can't join, you're not eligible because you're a woman. We don't take women as air crew, so you can't join the air squadron. And that was the trouble. One was born in the wrong part of the century. So I got on with qualifying as a lawyer and one day when I was about 30 I thought I really would like to learn to fly and I was on a skiing holiday and I met somebody who was talking about flying and that was like the alarm bell going off you know so I pestered this this guy when I got back to the UK and eventually introduced me to his flying instructor and I had a trial lesson and of course then I fell in love with flying and I had to do it. It still took a long time though because I was working full time and it was weekends only and the weather in the UK and all those different things. So it was about 15 months before I got my PPL. Then I gave up my legal career to get a CPL and become a flying instructor. And the question I'm often asked is, well, why did you do that? You're earning good money and you became a flying instructor? And I said, well, I left it for the money, of course. Yes, no, it's 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 a bit like anything else where you need a vo- when you have a vocation, whether you're going to be a nurse or something is vocational. I felt that vocation to be a teacher. I wanted to communicate, teach other people, to get them to experience the joy of flying. So I did that for a couple of years, and I did my instrument rating, and then I completely ran out of money. So I reinvented myself as an aviation lawyer. I got a job working at Heathrow Airport, dealing with aircraft accidents and insurance claims. And that was quite interesting. And I could still instruct at the weekends. So gradually I built up my experience. And about four years later, by then I'd moved to a firm of lawyers in the city dealing with aircraft litigation. Um, The jobs came to a sudden end because those things in the city sometimes do. But I was still instructing. So at that point, I also qualified to teach instructors. That qualification is better paid than basic instructing because you get, you get paid for doing the briefings as well and you're teaching people to teach. So it's really interesting and that's probably the best job I ever had. I really love that. The next year, I was asked to become an examiner as well. So that was a great honour. And so I was an examiner, not just for PPLs, but also for instructors and eventually for examiners as well. So during that time when all of that was going on, I got to know the editor of the series of books that people mainly use for their training. And you can see those behind me on my shelf, the the air pilot manuals. And because I was an aviation lawyer, I was going through the air law book. and I thought, this is full of repetition and errors. And I said to the editor, have you ever had a lawyer look at this? And he said, no. I said, would you like to have a lawyer look at it? He said, yes. I said, would I get paid? He said, yes. So there I had my third job. So I was doing some consultancy for aviation accidents for insurance companies. I was teaching instructors and now I was editing a training book. And that led to me writing some more training books. So I I wrote a few, you know, from scratch. And it gradually I took over from that existing editor and ended up becoming the editor of the whole series. And now I'm a consultant to Poolies dealing with most of their books that they put out, which are their products. About 15 years ago, I was asked to edit a helicopter book. And I said, well, I can, 
I can check the grammar and the spelling and the punctuation, but I really can't be sure about the terminology because I don't know the difference between a cyclic and a collective. So I was told to go and have some helicopter lessons. And that led to me eventually getting my helicopter PPL. Then, of course, I did my CPL because there was another book that needed to be done, which was a, a CPL book. And then there was an instructor book to do. So I ended up becoming a helicopter instructor as well, which I managed to achieve before I was 50. I was one of two women in the whole of the UK to be qualified to teach both fixed wing and rotary. I don't know if there's any more now, but certainly there's not many women that can teach both in the UK. There's a few in America, of course, but there's not even all that many men. I discovered at the time when mine was issued, there are only 37 men. So there's not many people in the whole UK who can teach both fixed wing and rotary, maybe in the, in the services, but not outside the services. I was very influenced by some of the early pioneers, people like Beryl Markham. I read her book very early on, and then it then that led to reading things like Amelia Earhart and Jean Batten and and Amy Johnson, and all of those were really inspiring. But having real role models is is the difficulty, and there weren't many of those when I was learning to fly. But I was fortunate to discover when I did my multi-engine rating the first time, my examiner was a woman. And she wasn't much older than me, but I was really inspired by her because I only had 70 something hours and she had 5,000 and she brought up four kids. So I thought, well, that's an amazing woman. And she's she's now one of my great friends. So she's uh, she was very inspiring. And the other woman who was really inspiring was Jill Devlin. And Jill was my first multi-engine instructor examiner. So when I did my multi-engine instructor, she was my examiner for that. And she worked for British Airways. She was an instructor first in a flying school at Biggin Hill. And then she joined British Airways as one of the first women to get in. And when she retired a couple of years ago, by then she'd flown every single fleet except for Concorde. So all the way for 737-747-757-767777, all of them. She'd done a lot. So she's a pretty inspiring woman as well. Um, I joined the Honourable Company of Air Pilots, which was then called GAPA and Guild of Air Pilots and Air Navigators, back in 1994. And I always like to contribute to things. So as well as joining, I wanted to be on some committee and I joined the Education and Training Committee fairly early on. And then a few years later, they asked me to chair a new instructor committee that was being set up. So I, I was the first chairman of that. And one of the things that we did was to, I pioneered a cooperation with the Air Force up at RAF Cranwell to, to have a joint forum for senior flying instructors, which we, we ran with a um, hundred of the most senior flying instructors in the UK some from the military, but mainly from the civilian. The idea of it was to cross fertilize between civilian and military, fixed wing and rotary to share our ideas and see how we could improve standards, but also improve standardization, which is a different thing. Um, there were a few women present in the room and they were, they tend to be fairly strong women who would stand up and say what they've got to say. Jill Devlin certainly would have been part of, of that group because she was a very senior examiner. I think there were only four of us who were senior examiners. That's a designation from the CAA, senior examiner. Four females amongst about 70 men who are senior examiners. So it's a small proportion. Um, but that's actually a slightly higher proportion than the worldwide proportion of airline pilots, which I think is something like 5.6%. So I think that 
we are seeing a slow change. The airlines are increasing the percentage of women. There's some airlines like EasyJet that were running quite strong campaigns to try and get more girls in. And I think they've got, they've been quite successful. One or two of the airlines have probably got at least maybe 10% of women entering, but it still doesn't filter through to becoming captains. There's still a comparatively small proportion who make it through to captain, but that will, that takes time. I think we have to encourage girls. One of my messages to, to the young girls still at school is to take the STEM subjects and really get on with focusing on those subjects, which traditionally may not have been pushed towards girls to do, but um, I wish I'd done them. I wanted to do maths at school, but they wouldn't let me take maths because I was a linguist and you couldn't mix maths with language. However, I did manage to do geography, which is also a pretty useful subject for, for pilots because you know, with navigation, but meteorology and all that sort of thing. So um, I was very glad that I could do geography. And also I would say to girls, the younger ones, join the ATC, really do, because then you can get some gliding, you get to to talk about aviation, you learn about it from a really early age. Um, the other thing I would say is get the best education you can. And one of my bits of advice, particularly for would-be pilots, is get another profession, train to be something else, because aviation is a really fickle profession to be in. We see these enormous cycles. It's like a sine wave, the way it goes up and down. And there'll be um, a glut of pilots at one point with the airlines not hiring and so everybody then rushes off to become flying instructors and then the airlines want everybody and they they take everybody straight from flight from uh, cpl school and then they start digging around and getting all the flying instructors into the airlines and then there's a shortage of flying instructors so then people can't learn to fly because there's no flying instructors and it it, it kind of that follows this this sine wave you've got a double sine wave one behind the other so the curve never is actually quite at the same time and in those times when there's no aviation jobs you need to have something else to fall back on which is why i was glad i had law to fall back on my career was certainly not um a plan and the trajectory that it's taken has been completely by chance but it actually worked out really well because having done law then getting involved in writing training books and particularly the aviation law side of it and getting involved in a publishing company, my legal background's come back to help with that too. So it's brought everything together that I've experienced. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Kathy, for uh, telling us your story. Well, so, sorry, Dorothy, and we will include links in our description below. Uh, what an extremely cool story. She sounds like she's flown a little bit of everything, you know, all the way up through the entire industry, which is extremely rare. And we've been uh, talking about pushing through and finding the next challenge. So what an incredible example of a great way to do that. All right. So we'll move on to Kaya Ehrlich, uh, who is the NASA Director for Orbital Launch at Blue Origin. So we can take it away with that video. Hey there, Ag Geeks. Greetings from 41,000 feet somewhere over, hey, I think Florida. I'm on board American Airlines 777-200 and my name is Kaya Ehrlich. 
and the NASA Director of Orbital Launch at Blue Origin. I'm not gonna lie, it's a little tricky filming a video on board an airplane, but we gotta do what we gotta do, and what better place than to be up in the skies to talk to you about my passion in aviation. I fell in love with aviation as a kid, learning how to fly when I was 16 years old. That then led me to go to Auburn University and pursue my bachelor's degree in aviation management. I then went to Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University where I got a master's degree in aviation. I spent most of my career at Honeywell Aerospace leading the flight services business. My career in aviation then led me to the cosmos. It was something that wasn't planned, um, but I'm so grateful for. Here at Blue Origin, I get to work with the national team and NASA to put the first woman and next man on the moon. Reflecting back on my career in aviation, many times I was the only woman in the room. Uh, in my aviation studies, I was one of the few women in the entire program at university, which is why I'm incredibly, incredibly passionate about spreading STEM education and inspiring young girls all over the world to pursue a career in aviation. I often think of young minds as sponges. They absorb everything around us. So it's time that we redefine celebrity and start putting those inspirational leaders in the headlines. It starts with you and I. And together we can share our passion and experiences in an industry we love so much to ignite the next generation of future aviation leaders. Your universe is what you make it, so let's make it a great one. So huge thanks to Kaya for sending that in. I know she's super busy, as you heard from her role there with Blue Origin, and I'm glad that she found a few minutes to be able to record something and send it in for us. And I love the aviation ambience that's going on there in the video with her recording on the airplane. So um, definitely a different side of aviation, not something that we're uh, that. Um, you know, you think of aviation, her, her path took her all the way to NASA and Blue Origin and space related things. So um, when you think about where you're going, going into aviation, kind of the, the sky's really the limit or maybe not. Or maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I'm excited. You know, she's, she's definitely passionate about it. You can hear that she's determined to be the first, uh, determined to put the first woman in uh, on the moon and then the next man on the moon there too. So I thought that was very interesting the way that she ordered that um yeah so my thanks there to to kaya and i think um we are pretty close to wrapping things up here so um coming up next week um we won't be here again if you get the, the usual host back <laughs> the, so, regular the regular stooges <laughs> um quick point of here though it is daylight savings time happening this weekend in the united states for those in canada so for those of you who are watching from this side of the pond um that will be it's the usual 7 p.m um in uh, utc but that'll be 3 p.m eastern and 12 p.m pacific and still 6 a.m in australia um well, we have to mention our social media links here. So the usual social media links for the plain talking uk will be in the description for the youtube um uh broadcast speaking of youtube why not subscribe to the youtube channel you'll get notifications when we go live and you can help shape the conversation of the show by joining us in the chat room like so many of you have done this evening thank you um go to youtube.com and search for plain talking uk we're very easy to find and our live streaming is always there and available 
or and you can use the Amazon link on the website as well if you're an Amazon user. So don't forget about that. Links to Patreon um, also on the website or patreon.com slash plain talking UK. So um, this has been a wonderful conversation with you ladies. I'm so glad we had a chance to sit down and do all this. Thank you to all the ladies who sent in videos and um, contributed their time towards this um, International Women's Day special. Uh, before we wrap up real quick, um, I want to make sure everyone gets a chance to plug their social media. So we'll start with Ariel. Cool. Thanks, guys. That was so fun. Um, can't wait for the next one. Um, mine are all pretty basic. It's just at Ariel Tweedo across the board. Do I have anything else? Um, oh, if you want, you can check out my, um, my nonprofit. It's called Popping Bubbles. Um, www.poppingbubbles.org and a lot of fun stuff there. Um, there, I have a cartoon. It's on Fox on Sundays at, it's called the great North. It's a bunch of, um, fun people on it. And so I think that's my recent project that's on air. Um, and then two other cartoons coming out soon and a new show. Um, so if you follow me on my social media, then I'll, um, I'll keep you in the loop. But um, thanks again so much. I had a blast with everybody. And it was so nice learning about all of you guys and your amazing accomplishments. And you guys definitely humble me. So, um, yeah. Is that the uh, phrase? Likewise. Humble me? It is. But, I mean, I think it's I think it's, <laughs> I think it's very mutual. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Jody, how about your social media? All right. You guys can find me on Instagram at Quotafiller, <laughs> which is a very sarcastic uh, name that I made as a result of a lot of their topics today. Also <laughs> online at Facebook at Joan Ruger Air Shows or JR Arrow. And you can look at our shop. We do have aviation materials for the ladies. And I brought some to demonstrate to you if you want some more Thunder Mustang in your life. We have Thunder Mustang yoga pants and all sorts of fun stuff. So there we go. She is modeling the Thunder Mustang <laughs> yoga pants. Yes. <laughs> Love it. She was kind enough to send me a pair too, and they are incredibly soft and comfortable. So I would recommend going and grabbing a pair before they're gone. Indeed. <laughs> uh, you can find me. Yeah, you can find me on the usual social media channels. Um, I am on the Airline Pilot Guy show, usually weekly for about three hours or so. So this was a very similar uh, time frame to the show today. Um, you can find us on Twitter. We're uh, APG Crew. We're also AirlinePilotGuy.com. Um, my individual Twitter page is Dr. Steph Plum, D-R-S-T-E-P-H-P-L-U-M. Um, and you can use that on Instagram as well. And you can get in touch with me and or anyone on the show using podcasts at plaintalkinguk.com email. Um, and I am not on the social meds anymore, mm. um, taking a hiatus. So you can't really reach me there. Uh, so just email the show if you'd like to get in touch or, you know, Armando is a normal host here. You can talk to him too. So, um, and then we also, I believe we still have Kathy on the line. So Kathy, would you like to Go ahead and let folks know again where they can get information on you and your book. Yeah, sure. Um, my website is kathymexted.com.au and um, I'm on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. So Twitter as Carscribe, K-A-S-C-R-I-B-E. Facebook is just Kathy Mexted Writing Photography, very original. And um, Instagram is pretty much the same. Excellent. Well, again... This 
This has been wonderful. Such a good show. I'm so excited that this all came together and we were able to um, highlight so many different women in aviation, different aspects of aviation. Um, it's, it's a big world out there. So I love the diversity that we have yeah. brought to this show this week. It is yeah. incredibly exciting. And um, I am, I am really excited that we've given some more kind of opportunity for young people to see what the opportunities could be. And also for young people in their 40s-ish. Yes. <laughs> we'll find you that Providing flight those opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Find you that Thank flight you. instructor. <laughs> um, I know really we need quick, to wrap it up here, um, but any, yeah. oh, oh, go ahead. Thank any you. last words? Um, Thank you to the guys, too, for letting us take over their platform that says a lot about your character and how kind you guys are to let us girls shine for a bit. So thank you very much for letting us take the um, lead in this. It was really nice. Mm, here, here. So I think with that, we will go ahead and wrap up the official live broadcast here. So that was episode no number, just women in aviation <laughs> special. Very exciting stuff. Until next week, um, this has been Dr. Steph, Megan Karen, Ariel Tweedo, and Jody Ruger for the Plain Talking UK. Bye. 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 Bye.